The moonlight shows us for what we really are. We're not among the living, so we cannot die, but neither are we dead. For too long I've been parched of thirst and unable to quench it. Too long I've been starving to death and haven't died. I feel nothing, not the wind on my face, nor the spray of the sea, nor the warmth of a woman's flesh. You best start believing in ghost stories, Miss Turner. You're in one. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I want the way that you instantly collapsed as soon as I started. I want all of the <laughs> listeners to know who cannot see us right now. The very second that Geneva started talking, I like <laughs> fell over on my table with laughter. Oh my gosh. That's like that's the best opening we've ever done. I don't think we'll ever top that. Thank you. That so Thank good. you. I <clears throat> I certainly don't think I could ever top that. That like that was <clears throat> that was so good. I was not expecting that from you at all. Wow. Just you know, just channeling all that undead pirate energy. Honestly, you should be Captain Barbosa for I don't know, for Halloween or something. Welcome to Your Pick, a film podcast. I'm Geneva. And I'm Tatum. We are two friends who love movies and love sharing them with each other. Each week, we take turns picking a film that is close to our hearts and talk about why it moves us, to tears, to laughter, and everything in between. We celebrate the craft of filmmaking, as well as the unique and personal ways we find meaning in the movies we watch. after that incredible opening <laughs> really i'm that was in, that was incredible i'm thank so you. happy we started that way thank you also like there's no other quote you could have chosen truly i mean there are so many great quotes in this movie but my mind just instantly went to this one and i think it was correct you best start believing in ghost stories miss turner you're, you're in, in one, one. <laughs> so good just sums it all up really so good um, so before we get into the movie, which I know we're both itching to discuss, uh, do you want to yes. tell the people what you've been watching this week? Yeah. So I want to start by saying, obviously I'm sick guys. So, um, Geneva is amazing and she's going to do her darndest editing this episode. But if you hear lots of coughs because Geneva can't cut all of them out, uh, please bear with me because I am ill. Um, but anyway, yeah, so since um, our last episode, I have watched two incredible, incredible movies. I rewatched them. Um, the first one was I rewatched Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Um, I have not seen that movie since it originally came out. Um, I saw Across the Spider-Verse this summer three times in theaters. It was such a good time. And so I wanted to go back kind of to to where it all began and watch this movie. And it was so, it was a good time. It was really interesting to see how the animation style evolved from this one to the next one. Because um, the animation is obviously incredible in this movie. But they really like took it to a million for the second one. And um, so, yeah, I mean, being being introduced to Miles Morales and kind of this whole 
Spider-Verse. It's just a really fun time. It's a fantastic movie. Um, I really enjoyed it. I watched it with a friend who is a, a huge, huge um, Marvel fan, which I am not. But um, I do like the Spider-Verse movies. And so it was fun to watch it with her. Um, and we had a really good time. So I'm really glad I got to rewatch it. Um, it I This could be a controversial thing to say. Uh, but I do like the second one better. Um, n- not that this is a bad movie. Like on Letterboxd, I rated the second one five stars. This one I rated four and a half. But if I could rate rate it like 4.9, I would do that. <laughs> um but yeah, I, it's a great, it's a really great movie. It just feels a little bit less, um, I don't know. I, I, I feel like the, in, the introduction to the other Spider-Mans that exist in this movie, you know, the, the pig one, the Nicolas Cage one, I just feel like they're kind of sprinkled in there. I, I wanted more of them and I remembered there being more of them and I watched it and I was like, oh, they really show up at the end and don't, they're not really around for very much, um, but I mean, that's, that's a very extreme like nitpick. Um, but I just really admire, sorry, just the, the craziness of this movie that you're just like the other Spider-Man's the pig one, the Nicolas Cage one. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, but yeah, I just, I really love how empowering these movies are to all different types of people. I mean, we have a super badass aunt May in this movie who, you know, She's not old, but you don't typically see older women like this kicking ass in movies, you know, but they give her these awesome roles where she's or these moments where she's fighting and she has these great lines. And um, there's just so many different people of color and they expand upon this in the second one. And when they bring in like, you know, uh, Indian culture and a pregnant woman who's still fighting, you know, it's just it's really cool how inclusive these movies are and expansive showing how many different types of people there are and how they are all capable of being superheroes and like worthy of being represented on screen so I just really admire these movies a lot um so yeah I could tie it into a whole Marvel rant which I'm not going to do um but these movies really separate themselves from the pack in my opinion um and I'm very excited for the third one I'm very excited for the third one Um, I will say though, one of the critiques of the second film that I did understand this time around after watching the first one, it does seem a little bit uncharacteristic that Peter Parker, the, the one voiced by, um, oh, what's his name? Who plays Nick in New Girl. Is it Jake Johnson? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Jake Johnson. Um, it doesn't make sense to me that he would betray Miles Morales in the second one after rewatching the first one. I'm like, that doesn't fully connect for me, but that's fine. Um, so anyway, yeah, I watched Into the Spider-Verse and then the other movie that I watched was, um, I rewatched, I don't know if I've ever said this on the podcast, but one of my favorite directors of all stinking time is Paul Thomas Anderson. One of my favorite movies of all time is Magnolia, which he made when he was like 25 years old or 27 or something like that, which like, I will never understand. Um, but anyway, (laughs) um... I rewatched the movie There Will Be Blood. It it is a perfect film. It is one of the best films of the 21st century. It is one of the best lead performances of all time. It is just 
it's absolutely incredible. Um, I, I'm not going to go on and on and on about it because I could do that. We'll talk about it on this podcast at some point. Um, but from top to bottom, I mean, the acting, the directing, the cinematography, the costumes, the the score, the I mean, um, I'm forgetting other things right now, but everything about it, the hair and makeup, like it is exceptional in every single way. And it's a movie that I rewatch every couple years because I don't want to watch it too frequently because I don't want it to like lose its impact because it's a very impactful film. Um, But it's just it's an incredible character study of a man who is greedy and tortured and complex and hateful. And Paul Dano plays this really weird, dopey very charismatic priest guy of a church of his own creation who has his own hidden agendas and the two of them going back to back of trying to like undermine each other and be like, you're actually pretending to be something that you're not. And I'm going to call you out on it. And they go back and forth about that. Um, It's just, it's, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal film And I think, like, I've seen this on a lot of, every once in a while, I look up lists of, like, you know, Oscar winners for Best Picture, and what are the years where the movie that won Best Picture shouldn't have won Best Picture, because this movie should have. And this is one of those years that comes up on a lot of lists, and I agree. This was the year that No Country for Old Men won Best Picture. Um, I'm I'm not necessarily the person to talk about No Country for Old Men because it's a Western and I don't really like Westerns, which has been well established on this podcast. Um, But even taking my own bias out of it, I mean, There Will Be Blood is a a miraculous achievement. Um, So anyway, yeah, I rewatched that movie and it was absolutely astounding. I'm taken aback every single time. So if you've never seen There Will Be Blood, watch it. If you haven't seen it in a long time, rewatch it because even if the whole movie sucked, which it doesn't, but even if the whole movie sucked, Daniel Day-Lewis's performance alone is like, it brings down the house. So um, yeah, that was a really, a really uh, great rewatch that I'm happy that I sat down and, and did it. So anyway, those are the two things I watched this week, um, both both really great. So yeah. Anyway, that's, that's what I've been watching. I really need to get around to watching, um, no country for old men and there will be blood, which like I'm constantly, I think we've, as we've talked about before, I'm constantly confusing the two. I'm like, which one is PTA and which one is uh, the Coen brothers? Yeah. Yeah. There's potential for you. I mean, we can talk about this when we talk about this on the podcast, cause we will again, talk about it at some point, but there is potential, I think, and I hope you prove me wrong, but there is potential for you to watch There Will Be Blood and appreciate the craft of it, but actually not like the story. Because I feel like you struggle with unlikable characters and... It depends on the type of unlikability. Okay. Yeah, because he ve- like, he's very much so a selfish, unlikable yeah person because like obviously i love all that jazz which has an extremely unlikable (laughs) protagonist yeah um 
But then there are certain types of unlikable protagonists where I'm just like, I don't know why anyone would want to spend time with this person. You know, yeah. they're not compelling so, to me. So we'll see. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Like I said, I hope you prove me wrong. Um, but I do think there is potential there for you to maybe be like, I totally admire the craft of this movie, but because I don't like the character, I can't get fully yeah. behind it. But. <clears throat> Got it. Gotcha. That makes sense. Well, we'll have to see. Uh, in terms of my own watching, I actually watched a lot this week. So Did you? I haven't been on Letterboxd, so I wasn't paying attention. Yeah. So um, I'm going to try and not spend too much time on any one thing in particular. But So I rewatched three movies. I rewatched the Alfred Hitchcock movie Dial M for Murder, which is a pretty good um, set in one location um, crime thriller. Um, definitely recommend. I rewatched the movie A Simple Favor, which came out like five or six years ago, which I really love. It's so campy and trashy and so much fun, <laughs> really well made. And honestly, genuinely, I think one of the best costumed films of the last five to 10 years, it, the costuming in it is really, really good. Uh, Blake Lively is just very charismatic and delightful in it. So <clears throat> Really enjoy that. Um, would recommend that if you want just something really silly and fun to to sit down with. Uh, I rewatched The Best Years of Our Lives, which is a post-war, immediately post-war drama, which um, excellent, excellent, perfect film for me. Kind of that's a movie that is handpicked for Geneva. Yes, it really is. It kind of sums up everything. <laughs> sums up sums me up in one film. It's one of those movies where I sat down. Being like, I'm not sure what I want to watch, but Best Years of Our Lives is on Prime right now. And let me just watch the first half hour because the first half hour is <laughs> so good. Turns out the first half hour I was thinking of is actually the first hour of the film. And once I've committed an hour, I may as well commit the other two hours. Yep. So I ended up watching a three-year film, three-hour film last night. Oh, um, you watched it last night. Dang. Mm -hmm. Yep. I've seen that movie once before. I think... I think I was I think I was too young to get it, honestly, because mm. I think back on it and I'm like, I didn't dislike it, but I was just very lukewarm on it. Mm -hmm. But I feel like if I were to watch it now, I would appreciate it more. I just think I wasn't in the right like the headspace for it. At, yeah. At the time, because it was one of those things where I think it was on my list a few years ago where it was like, if you're a film person, you have to see these movies. And I think I just like popped it in and I, I don't know. It just wasn't like a good a good day. Yeah, I could see it not not grabbing you. I mean, it, it is very long again, which I think it totally earns. But if you're not as into the, the subject matter, I could see it not really working. But I I love it. I think it's excellent. Possibly we'll do an episode on it <laughs> one day. We'll see. Um, okay, but in terms of new films that I watched this week. So first up, um, I watched a movie from the mid-60s called The Cincinnati Kid with Steve McQueen about poker players in 1920s New Orleans. Uh, honestly, I was kind of bored by it. Uh, I love Steve McQueen and I'm and Margaret's in it. I love her. Carl Malden's in it. I love him, but it just didn't really grab me all that much. It's kind of one of those movies where it's like, you need to empathize with this 60s protagonist because he's young and cool and hot and he wants to do a thing, but there's he's kind of an unlikable character. <laughs> he, he's a jerk to his girlfriend. He doesn't really seem to have any direction. So, yeah, I don't know. It was it was fine. I wasn't crazy about it. Um, I watched a movie called The Letter, which is um, one of several collaborations between Betty Davis and director William Wyler. And they're just a really great team. He really brought 
a lot of what made her really special as an actress out of her. She always spoke very highly about him as a director who really understood his performers and understood what she was capable of. This is not my favorite collaboration that I've seen between the two of them, but it's still pretty good. It's a sort of noirish drama about a woman who um, she shoots a man who she claims tried to attack her, but then later a letter turns up that maybe indicates that she's not actually telling the truth. And so um, it's her and her lawyer and her husband all trying to kind of figure out what to do next. And I won't give too much away, but it's it's a pretty good watch if you like Betty Davis and you want to see her give a really great performance. Um, next, I watched a movie called The Birdcage, which was so delightful, and I loved it so much. Tatum, have you seen The Birdcage? I have not. I've actually never heard of The Birdcage. Oh my gosh, you need to watch it. It is um, a 90s comedy. I believe it's based on a play. It's directed by Mike Nichols, who did um, The Graduate. And- oh, no, no. The Birdcage. Yes. It's, um, it's, it's in my watch list. I have not okay. seen it, but I really, really want to watch it. I think... I saw it somewhere a few weeks ago, like online somewhere, and I was like, oh my gosh, I need to see this movie. And I immediately added it to my list, but I haven't gotten around to watching it yet. Okay. Yes. Please tell me when you do. I'm very excited to hear what you think. I loved it. I thought it was hysterical. The premise of it is um, it's about a gay couple played by Robin Williams and Nathan Lane. Uh, Robin Williams owns a drag club. Nathan Lane is kind of the star drag artist. Um, They've been together for years, but Robin Williams has a son by, I guess, a previous relationship. And the son announces that he's getting he's getting married to um, this woman who is the daughter of this really conservative right wing senator. And the senator is going through a political scandal. And so he decides, well, we're going to go and <laughs> the, through a series of misunderstandings, he thinks that the the boy that her their daughter is engaged to is the son of some sort of um, fancy Kennedy-esque, you know, old money family that would make them look good by association. And so they're like, well, we're going to go and meet them. And so there's all this mistaken identity and trying to um, hide and um, pretend to be who you're not in order to, to make people like you. And it is just, it's so funny. It's so sweet and heartwarming and... Um, yeah, I can't recommend it enough. It's it's really, really delightful. I'm so glad you saw it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to watching it probably soon. So we'll have to talk about it um, after that happens. Okay, sounds good. All right, so then the last thing that I saw was a movie called The Last Picture Show, which is a Peter Bogdanovich film. I believe it was made, it was before Paper Moon. I think it's kind of his first like the first movie that really put him on the map as a director. Baby Jeff Bridges. Yeah, Baby Jeff Bridges is in it. It is basically about a this small town in, I think, Texas that is kind of fading away. And it focuses on a couple of teenagers who are just graduating high school. They kind of have their romantic dramas. They're into this one young woman who is kind of figuring herself out. She's kind of going around and sleeping with as many people as possible because of her because she has self-esteem issues. There's a one of them gets involved with an older woman and has an affair with her. And there's a mentor figure who owns the local pool hall and cafe and um picture hall, which is kind of the social center of the town. And 
I really, really love this movie. I did not expect to because a couple people in my life have seen it and were not impressed with it. <laughs> Me being one of them. Tatum being one of them. Yes. Um, and I can see that very much. Um, I think, Tatum, you said your issue with it was that everyone keeps making terrible decisions, which yeah. is correct. <laughs> I was just sh- I was just shouting at my screen. I was like, you like you could just not do that. Like, you you could just not do that. Like, why? No, you're creating so many problems. Just don't do that thing, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And and it was very, they were situations where I was like, it's very clearly, like, it's very obvious that the decision you're making is the wrong decision. Like, it wasn't something where it's like, oh, well, maybe. I'm like, no, no. If I were in your situation, it's very clear. I should not do this. (laughs) But you're doing it anyway. (laughs) Yeah, I don't disagree with any of that. But for me, it really worked as a movie that's just about loneliness and the desire for human connection and affirmation from other people and the impact that we all have on one another and the ways that we can either make other people's lives happier and richer and better or that we can make them worse. And um the way that the characters they make mistakes and they grow and they discover things about each other they look back on their lives and their memories as the the older characters look back on their lives and who they were as children versus who they were today um they extend grace for one another when they uh hurt each other it just really, really moved me. I was tearing up a little bit at the end. I did not cry, but I did tear up a little bit. Did you know that like all of the main cast, every single one of them was nominated for an Oscar? I did not know that, actually. Yeah, all four of them. Oh, wow. Cloris Leachman, I did know because Be Kind Rewind, the excellent YouTube channel recently had a video on her, which is one of the reasons that I was especially interested in watching this movie. I don't think Polly Platt was not involved with this movie, right? No, she was. Oh, she was? She was involved with all of his early films. Okay. I wasn't sure if she was involved in this one. She may actually have even been the one to find this novel and suggest it to him. I feel like she's also very much a part of his process when it comes to casting people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I believe so. She was actually the one who found Tatum O'Neill and cast helped, you know, put her forward for casting in Paper Moon. Whenever we talk about a Peter Bogdanovich film, I will be bringing up Polly Platt. (laughs) Oh, as you should, as you should. Yes. Any film that she was involved with, which she very much was in his his first several yeah. Anyway, so yeah, the last picture show. I re- recommend it. So what is that? Was that like seven things in one week? Did you watch a new thing every day? I just, yep. I just counted it up. I there were multiple days where I watched two things in one day. <laughs> so sick. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love those weeks when they happen. I haven't had one of those weeks in a while, but but when they, ha- I'm like, th- th- this was a good week. These were good life decisions. Yep. And I, I just went to the library and rented like three more things for me to watch. So I'm looking forward to those as well. Support your local libraries, everybody. Yeah, <laughs> libraries are great. I watched at least half of these via the library, if not more. Love it. All right. Well, um, let us move on to the subject of today's episode. Today on the show, we are discussing Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl from 2003, directed by Gore Verbinski and starring Keira Knightley, Orlando Bloom, Johnny Depp, and Jeffrey Rush. The film centers on uh, several characters, including Elizabeth Swan, the daughter of the British governor of a Caribbean island, and Will Turner, the uh, blacksmith's apprentice who loves her from afar. 
When Elizabeth is kidnapped by pirates, Will teams up with the mysterious but charismatic Captain Jack Sparrow to rescue her. This takes the three of them on a delightful swashbuckling adventure involving pirate curses, treasure, skeletons, sword fights, trickery, and lots and lots of rum. Or the lack thereof. Pirates of the Caribbean The Curse of the Black Pearl was a huge success at the time and basically became a whole cultural phenomenon. But few could have predicted that beforehand. The movie was loosely inspired by a popular pirate ride at Disneyland, shout out, but the studio was wary about making a project involving pirates because a lot of recent pirate movies, most notably Cutthroat Island from 1995, had been big flops. Much credit for its success can go to director Gore Verbinski, who wanted the film to be a throwback to the swashbuckling films of the Hollywood Golden Age, as well as to screenwriters Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio. Verbinski also wanted to lean into the things that made the ride so memorable for children, namely that it was both funny and genuinely scary. Much of the film was shot on location in the Caribbean or on elaborate practical sets built in California. Rather than romanticizing the era, the actors playing the pirates were given costumes, makeup, and prosthetics that emphasized the griminess and scarring that pirates of the time would have had. Industrial Light and Magic supplied the CGI effects for the pirate skeleton, the skeleton pirate crew. The iconic score was written by Claus Bedalt, a collaborator of Hans Zimmer, with some of the themes heavily inspired by Zimmer's own score for Gladiator. I actually... Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I didn't know that, which I'm really glad that you wrote that there, because I remember... When I was younger, so I saw this movie before I saw Gladiator because, you know, I was young. Um, Not that, I mean, there were lots of movies I watched when I was young, but, you know, whatever. But, um, so I saw Pirates first, and then I remember later when I was a little older, when I saw Gladiator, I was like, wait, that's the same, that's the same score (laughs) as Pirates of the Game. Like, what, is that, like, I remember being so confused because we didn't really, like, IMDb wasn't really a thing at the time, so I couldn't really, like, look up information about, like, okay, which one came out first and who composed which one. All I just remember thinking was, like, wait, that is the Pirates of the Caribbean theme. So I didn't know this fun fact that, um, like, it sounds like he's pretty open about the fact that it was actually inspired by Gladiator. Like, he's not he's not claiming that it's not. I I didn't read any quotes by him, but I don't think I think it would be pretty impossible to deny. Plus, Hans Zimmer himself was, I believe, involved in the music production on this film, even if he's not credited as the composer. And then he took over as the accredited composer in the sequel. So Mm -hmm. it's all Hans Zimmer, even if Klaus Bedalt was the, you know, taking the lead on composing the score for this film. Yeah. Zimmer was still heavily involved in it. And yeah, I don't think there's anyone who's out there saying, no, it was completely original and not at all inspired by Gladiator yeah. because yeah. they they sound very similar. I will just throw this out there. If any of you guys listen to film scores, I would argue that Hans Zimmer's score for At World's End is one of the best scores of the 21st century. I listened to that score like album a lot. It was one of my big study ones in college and I still listen to it quite often. It's It's really, really good. Yeah, the score for all of these movies is excellent. Like the the Davy Jones theme from um, Dead Man's Chest is excellent. The 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 fourth movie, the one with the mermaids, has some issues, but the actual mermaids theme is really really good. I thought about that while watching this movie because, granted, I haven't seen any of the movies beyond the first three, but I knew that one of them had mermaids in it, and so 
in that one line in this movie where uh, Gillette is like, oh, yeah, Mermaid flopped up on, on deck and gave us the whole story. I was like, little do you know, mermaids uh-huh. actually exist in this <laughs> world. <laughs> yeah. Too bad he didn't get to see it. Um, okay. So um, just a little bit more about the film. So casting in my opinion, is also a huge part of why the film was so successful. Keira Knightley and Orlando Bloom obviously were big up-and-comers at the time. Keira Knightley was coming off of Bend It Like Beckham and Bloom obviously playing um, the Legolas in the Lord of the Rings films. Jeffrey Rush was apparently the second choice for Barbosa after Robert De Niro turned down the role. Rush, rather than playing the role as a one-dimensional villain, reportedly decided that his character sees himself as the hero of his own movie and created an elaborate backstory explaining why his character does the things that he does. Who reached out to Robert De Niro for this? He's <laughs> way too serious to take on him. I mean, granted, he did do like Meet the Parents and Meet the Fockers. But, well, like- I was going to say he actually plays the role of a pirate captain, a very over-the-top campy, like... um pirate captain in the movie stardust a few years later and so finding out this piece of information i wonder if he turned it down and then saw how successful the movie was and was like dang it let me try and get in there on whatever other similar role that i can yeah i mean i think he could have pulled it off i just Mm -hmm. you know because i i hear you say that i'm like oh yeah i think that could have worked but i just don't see him accepting a role like that (laughs) well i don't think he fully moved into his kind of comedy era yet i might be misremembering exactly when his he started really moving into that you know studio comedy um era of of his career but at this era i don't really think of him as doing roles like this Mm -hmm. yeah yeah um so obviously for most people the breakout star of this film was the character of captain jack sparrow originally the idea was for sparrow to be a classic roguish anti-hero in the mold of someone like burt lancaster who had starred in 1952's the crimson pirate actors considered for the role included hugh jackman jim carrey michael keaton and christopher walken however johnny depp was cast in the role when when johnny depp was cast in the role depp decided to lean into the idea of pirates as rock the rock stars of their day he famously modeled his performance after rolling stones member keith richards who was later cast in the sequels to play jack sparrow's father depp's unexpected performance choices gave the film some edge and his chemistry with orlando bloom Kieran knightley kevin mcnally and jeffrey rush provided an energy that made the film unique all right so pirates of the caribbean um in terms of my relationship relationship to this movie, oh man, I adore this movie so much. I It's definitely a movie I grew up with. I did not see it in theaters, my parents, but I, I saw it shortly afterwards. I think my parents probably saw it in theaters together and then thought, well, this is okay. You know, we might want to show it to them at home so that if there's anything a little bit questionable, we can fast forward through that. But for the most part, they considered it to be fine. So we watched it on DVD together. And I vividly remember when they suggested watching it, I was in this little like, ugh, sounds like a boys movie. I'm not going to like this. (laughs) And then I fell in love with it. And just for the next couple of years, every time me and my brothers and my friends all got together, we would just be playing Pirates of the Caribbean. You know, we'd be having sword fights. We'd be taking on characters from the movie, rewriting the story. Um... It was just such a huge part of my imaginative landscape as a child. Um, I watched all of the sequel movies in theaters, except for the last one. 
kind of diminishing returns there, although there's still good things about them. I had very strong opinions about the sequel movies when they first came out. Um, I do remember A lot of people did. Yeah, yeah. People were so invested. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do remember how excited I was, though, when they brought back Barbosa at the end of the second movie. I was basically jumping up and down in the theater. (laughs) So tell me, what's become of Jack Sparrow? (laughs) Then he eats an apple and, like, juices all over his mouth. Oh, my gosh. He got his apple. Ah! (laughs) What's become of Jack Sparrow? (laughs) So, yeah, I just, oh, man, I've just watched this movie a million times, and... Um, it's one of those movies that you can just, it is a long movie, but you can just throw it on and it's so much fun and I can recite almost every line by heart. And if I could give anything to play an Elizabeth Swan role or possibly be kidnapped by pirates and go through a similar adventure, I would gladly do it. And yeah, I love this movie. (laughs) (laughs) They really don't, it's a classic. They really don't make them like this anymore. Like movies like this Mm, really. I agree. You only have a few that come out and just have this particular combination of excellent chemistry with all of the actors and a director and screenwriters who really understand the tone and how to balance it being light and fun and exciting with also having kind of that dangerous edge and um, I also feel like actors in a cast that are really invested like mm because it sounds like Johnny Depp and Jeffrey Rush like they treated this like an well, I was going to say like an Oscar nominated role, but like literally, it literally Depp was, was nominated for, yeah. but like they treated it like these are real characters and we're going to do our work to like make them full rounded. And who are they? Whereas I feel like a lot of other, you know, maybe soon to be franchise movies or, or entertainment flicks. They're not really taken as seriously by the cast. I don't feel like at least nowadays. Um, and I think it shows here and I don't think it's just, I don't think it's just Johnny Depp and Jeffrey Rush. I mean, there's so many people that are really going all out here, but also not taking it too seriously. Like they're having so much fun and I, I love it. Yeah. 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 And it's, um, it is a, in my opinion, basically perfect script for what this movie is that is so intricate and the world that it creates is so well thought out. And yet this was before the era really got started where every studio thinks if we're making a blockbuster, we need to somehow spun it into a spin it into a franchise. And obviously that's what ended up happening. They ended up making a lot of sequels. But when you watch it, you don't get the feeling, oh, we're trying to set something up because we want to make another movie. We want to make five more movies. And, you know, three movies later, we're hoping that we can this can pay off. You're watching it and thinking, Oh, they they put this little detail in there because it en- enriches the world, and it's just a an incredibly textured and vast world that all is consistent. There are so many characters that only have a few lines, and yet you just you remember them years later. You know, I also I really like to, and and people could debate me on this, and that's fine. I'm a lot bigger of a fan of um, Dead Man's Chest and Outworld's End than a lot of other people are, but. I don't know if this movie was created and it was such a success that they decided to branch off of it or if they always wanted it to be more like more than just one. It sounds like maybe the former. They just made one and then they were like, oh, this was a success. Let's make more. Um, But I really like in the following movies how they pay so much attention to the first one that it's like, oh, that thing that's on Johnny Depp's head, that's actually one of the nine pieces of eight. And like this compass that doesn't point north is actually like a huge thing. 
and these whole things of like people saying, oh, so-and-so was lost to Davy Jones' locker and like, you know, Will being like, I'll be lost to Davy Jones' locker. And you just think, oh, okay, Davy Jones' locker is just kind of like a pirate thing that people say. But then Davy Jones' locker, they actually make it into a whole thing in the next movies and like Bootstrap Bill and, you know, they take even the most minor details and they expand upon them and really build out this world and make it feel like it's not just this, this one story that exists. Like there's hundreds of stories that exist with, because this is a whole world, you know? Yeah. And I like, I like how in this first movie they just have the little, there's so many cool little details of like little props and little costumes and because like you said, they're just there to make the world feel more real. But because there's so many of those in the following movies, they were able to like tap into so much because there was so much already there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I don't hate the fourth movie as much as a lot of people do. I actually, there are certain things about the fourth movie, the fourth movie. Okay. I haven't seen it. (laughs) But one of the things that I think was a real mistake with it was taking Gore Verbinski off of it, or maybe he didn't want to direct it. I don't really know, but um, is that the, Javier Bardem, Penelope Cruz one? Yes, with the mermaids. Yeah. Gotcha. And I think that's just because you can tell how much love Verbinski has for this world. And, you know, this entire um, landscape that has been created with all of these different interacting characters and um, getting into the nitty gritty of pirate lore and things like that. Like he, he clearly cared so much about it. And he was he did such a great job of establishing that tone early on. Yeah, I think that this movie, and in my opinion, the second and third one, like these people, they feel like pirates. They don't feel like cartoon characters. Whereas like given what I've heard about the fourth and fifth one, like Jack Sparrow just becomes a cartoon. Like he's almost a parody of himself, you know, and that's just given what I've heard. I I haven't seen them, but yeah, I don't know. I just like that he feels like in this movie, he's just Jack Sparrow. Like he, he's a guy who happens to be a pirate who happens to be like drunk all the time, <laughs> but he's not like, <laughs> but he's he not like a, luck. yeah, but he's not like a cartoon. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So Tatum, can you share a bit about your relationship to Pirates of the Caribbean? Cause I know that you also, it is also a huge part of your backstory. Yeah. I mean, if you can't tell based off of everything that I just said, um, I'm a huge fan of this movie. I am a big fan of the, I'm going to say trilogy instead of franchise, because again, I haven't seen the fourth and fifth one. Um, so I am a huge fan of this trilogy. I, um, I, you know, I don't know if I've ever said this out loud, but I think it's actually true. One of my favorite things about myself is that I am a huge nerd when it comes to like swords and like anything that has sword fighting in it I am like obsessed you know fantasy worlds historical medieval worlds like you know anything like that I get super into it um I've always said one of these days I'm gonna take like a long sword class I'm gonna learn how to sword fight I will take it but anyway so this movie kind of was one of the first things that I saw that really tapped into that nerdiness for me. Um, I had seen the Lord of the Rings prior to this. Um, and I was already a huge fan of, you know, those types of vibes and like swordplay and, and all of that stuff. And so the fact that this had that and the fact that it also had Orlando Bloom, I was like really excited to, to watch it. 
Um, I also did not see this in theaters. I, I was quite young. And so I don't think my parents were like wanting to, they just didn't know, um, a little bit uncertain. Uh, and so I remember my grandma, she had a lake house at the time and, you know, grandmas always have like the fun stuff, you know, like grandmas have the little snacks that you can't have at home. And like my grandma had cable and we didn't have cable and she had all the fun VHSs, you know? And so at the lake house, she had the Pirates of the Caribbean VHS. And so every single time we went there, me and my sister would sit down, you know, put this movie in the player and watch it. And I absolutely loved this movie. I, I've probably seen it. I mean, I haven't watched it in a while um, because it's not really a movie that I necessarily like crave watching all the time um, because I've seen it. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've probably seen this movie over 20 times. Like I watched it so much when I was young. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of my relationship with it. I loved it so much. I did go to the midnight premieres of Dead Man's Chest and At World's End um, for my sister's 16th birthday party because she was also, you know, all in on this with me. She um she had a uh, Pirates of the Caribbean theme for her 16th birthday. I dressed up as Calypso. It was a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, I mean, had a bunch of Pirates of the Caribbean posters on our wall because we shared a bedroom. Like I was very much so into this world. Um, so I will say watching it this time around, because again, I haven't seen it in a while. I was so fascinated because I was like, this really feels like a, like a kid's movie. You know what I mean? Like when I was younger, because I was a kid, it didn't feel like a kid's movie to me because I, I was a kid. So I didn't really know like kids movie versus not kids movie. And so watching it this time around, I was like, Oh, th this, like this has a lot of like weird campy kinds of jokes and like moments that are like, this is like, this is just a silly kid thing to have in, you know, it was just strange. I was like, this is way more of a kid movie than I remember it being. Um, but that didn't make me like it less. I just was like, I don't recall it giving me this type of vibe. Um, but it was a super fun time. I, so I had some friends over last night and, uh, they didn't leave until like 1030 and I hadn't watched this movie yet. And so I was like, okay, I need to watch this before recording tomorrow in the morning. And so I checked the runtime because at this point I was starting the movie at like 11 and I was like, oh man, this movie's two and a half. Like, okay, I've, I, I need to watch it. Like, it's fine. And so I put it in and I was fully anticipating just like falling asleep and being like, oh my gosh, like I'm watching this super late. It's so long. Let's hurry this up. It felt like it was 45 minutes. Like this movie really, the pacing is so good. I was like entertained from start to finish. I was never bored. I did not fall asleep. Like I remember it hit a point. And I was like, oh my gosh, we're almost at the end. Does that mean I've been watching this for two hours already? Like what? Um, and I think that's a testament to this movie and, and, and its quality. So um, yeah, I, I love this film. I think this is a movie that like, you know, if I were to have kids or, or if I get permission from my sister, when my niece is old enough, I'm like, I would show this movie to like a nine-year-old, you know, like th it's just, it, it has a little bit of scariness, but it's not like, oh my gosh, you're going to be like, you know, losing sleep because the skeletons are so scared. Cause they're kind of silly, you know, like their eyes are falling out and, and all that stuff. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going on and on. I mean, I, I just, I have such a, my relationship with this movie is just so like big and there's so much, you know, under that umbrella that I don't really know like where to begin and, and where to end. Um, but yeah, I, I, I will say I questioned watching it, watching this this time. I was like, I don't know. Is Orlando Bloom a good actor? <laughs> because, you know, he he very famously has like no lines in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. <laughs> like it's kind of an internet joke at this point, which I think is hilarious. Um, but then in this movie, I'm like, I can't tell if he's a bad actor or if just like he's so committed to the character of Will as this like doe eyed, you know, little boy who's like obsessed with this teenage girl from his childhood and like is like super passionate about oh like pirates and blah blah blah. um he's completely obsessed with treasure it's not true I'm not obsessed with treasure um but I don't know I did find myself thinking that this time I'm like I don't know if I actually like his performance in this movie but it kind of works because Will is kind of just like a, a, a lame guy who like wants to be at the table with the big boys but like doesn't really belong there <laughs> I mean that's I would 100% agree with that I don't think Orlando Bloom is a particularly great actor or at least not at this time maybe he's yeah matured quite a bit but I think his blankness kind of really works for the character because you do need that you do need someone to counterbalance the craziness and eccentricities of Jack Sparrow you need someone who's just kind of pretty and earnest and good and wants to rescue the damsel you know you it, it really works the the balance between the two of them is perfect even if objectively speaking it's not the greatest performance of all time it probably would not the balance probably would be off if he was giving a more sort of you know a complex performance I guess you know yeah I feel like watching this movie it it it's hard to not compare Orlando Bloom with Kira Knightley. And I feel like watching this Kira Knightley, it's like very clearly, Oh, she's going to be a star. And then Orlando Bloom, it's like, Oh, he's pretty, you know, it's like, (laughs) it was just interesting. Like taking that away this time. I'm like, I don't again, like because his character kind of works for this movie. And like you said, he balances things out. It doesn't really bother me that much, but like, if we were to take Will out and Orlando Bloom's performance like and plop him into another movie, I'd be like, um, yeah, no, this is not the best performance. <laughs> but all that being said, like, I love Orlando Bloom. I mean, the fact that he has been in two of my favorite like franchises of all time that were formative of my childhood. Like, I love him to death and I will always love him. Um, regardless of whether or not he's a good or bad actor. Um, but yeah, I just found that interesting this time around, but it sounds like you're kind of on the same page. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Yeah. I think between the two of them, Kira Knightley carries a lot of the load, <laughs> but she is also in a position within that story where she's doing a lot of acting on her own or with other characters. And there, there are choices that she makes that, really require some more complexities to her you know she makes some choices where you're like I don't know if that's the, really the smartest decision but um but it makes a whole lot of sense for her character and what she wants so yeah I feel like and this is gonna sound like a super hoity-toity thing to say 
and if there's any actors listening to this, they're probably going to laugh at me. So like, you don't know what you're talking about. And that's probably true. I'm not an actor, but I feel like Kira Knightley is acting. Whereas Orlando Bloom is like reacting, like things are happening to him and he's just responding to them. Whereas, you know, Kira Knightley is like, no, no, like I'm going to talk to you and I'm going to make you feel something. Whereas Orlando Bloom is like, oh, you're making me feel something or you're talking to me. I don't know. It just it just feels more so like that. But yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I mean, he the parts where he is probably the weakest are when he's sort of taking the most initiative or showing the most emotion. <laughs> um, but most of the time he's more called to, you know, he gets Jack Sparrow going and then he's kind of tagging along and they're like this buddy cop duo. Um, which is a lot of fun to watch. And he's, you know, he's great. I love, I love that one shot when, um, when Norrington and the other guy who's like, that's gotta be the best pirate I've ever seen. When, when he looks through the, um, uh, what do you call it? Like the, the telescope. Uh, it's not a telescope though. Spy it's glass. like a, yeah, he looks through it and he, <laughs> he sees them stealing the ship and Jack is like, it basically just like, like having will like raise the sail do all the work <laughs> do all the work and jack's just like motioning like higher higher <laughs> will's clearly like trying so <laughs> it's just like a little it's like a little brief glimpse into like what their relation how because, this dynamic works yeah yeah it, it's it's so great i love it so much mm-hmm. yeah or the part where um Will is like, no, my father was not a pirate. And he goes to draw his sword. And Jack just like moves one little little rope. And then the big mass swings over and like completely mm-hmm. knocks him off the boat. <laughs> yep. Like, he's he's not a threat at all. <laughs> yeah, no. And and uh, Will's like, yeah, you you ignored the rules of engagement and, uh, and you fight. cheated or, or whatever. In a fair fight, I'd kill you. And he's like, well, that doesn't give me much reason to fight fair then, right. does it? Like. <laughs> I will say, I think my favorite acting moment, honestly, of Orlando Bloom in this whole movie is is the moment when Mr. Brown is like, just doing my civic oh duty, my sir. And it's then so good. Orlando Bloom just does this little like look of like, okay. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, well, that's how it goes. <laughs> yeah. He just completely stole credit for capturing Jack Sparrow after I did all the work. I think that's like his best his best acting moment in this whole yeah, movie. I, I believe it and it's funny, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, he has a couple nice little wordless moments actually. Um like the moment where he's first introduced in his, you know, grown up form where he's waiting at the governor's house and he kind of he like he's like touching this lamp to look at it and then it breaks and then he's like looking around trying to figure out what to do and then he just hides it. <laughs> <laughs> always makes me laugh it's such yeah, a I'll, great I'll way just, to introduce the character i'll just put it into this little like intricate beautiful garbage can made of glass yeah no one will notice no one will notice <laughs> or um later on in the movie when he's um talking to mr gibbs about jack and he's like oh he went mad is that the reason for all that and well, then he does the- this imitation of jack sparrow is like wavy hands and everything it's really funny reasons got nothing to do with it <laughs> what did he use for rope Human hair from my back. That's so not possible. (laughs) It makes no sense. It's like even Uh, if your back was entirely covered with hair, none of that is long enough to (laughs) like do anything. But whatever. All right. Um, Well, I would love to go through the plot of this movie just because it's literally been fifty three minutes. I know. (laughs) Just there are so many little moments that I just yeah that you know 
because it's just it's all good it's all good i would just like to say that geneva on her outline here has a bullet point that specifically says justice for norrington (laughs) and i'm interested to talk about that i wasn't sure at what point we wanted to get to that um whenever you want i'm cool with whatever (laughs) okay well let's do it now since you brought it up so full disclosure Part of my long and rich history with this movie is that I had a big crush on Commodore Norrington. That will... does not surprise me <laughs> at all. At all. Which will tell you a whole lot about my taste in men. Oh, my goodness. Um, and honestly, rewatching the movie, I I don't think I was wrong. Um <laughs> I really like the character because it's like, obviously, he is the antagonist. We don't want to see him succeed. We don't want to see him take down Jack. We don't want to see Will go to jail. We don't want to see Elizabeth end up with anyone other than Will. So, you know, the, it ends the way it should end. But I I really appreciate the fact, and I don't know how much of this is writing versus, um, I think Jack Davenport does really well with this character, is... He's he's very rarely actually wrong if you consider objectively what's going on. Like the pirates are bad. They are murderers. Him trying to catch them is not a bad thing. And I do think that he genuinely loves Elizabeth. I don't think they're right for each other. I don't think they should end up with each other. But I think he does genuinely really love her. And he has a lot of integrity as a person. You know, he doesn't bend the rules except once. And he does that because she asks him to. And when he realizes that she doesn't love him, that she loves someone else, he's willing to step aside for her and let her be happy. I think there is a lot of real, genuine, um, you know, willingness to see her be happy even at his own, um, you know, even at the expense of making himself unhappy. And there is a lot of integrity to him, even though he is in this position of being the antagonist. So I just wanted to say a little, you know, justice for this character. I'm not thrilled with how his... um, they develop his character in the next two films, but I really love him in, Ooh, in this one. Interesting, because I was going to say, if you are like pushing justice for Norrington, I was going to say, I think he gets his justice in the next two movies. Like the second one, he's a little bit more of a like, you know, a cartoon character. But I think in the third one, he really has a great a great char- character arc, in my opinion, from the first movie going into that one. But. He, just well, me. he he has a heroic death in the third one, which I like, although I would have liked even more having him not die. Um, I didn't like the choice to have him become disgraced between movies and basically mm. become a pirate himself, because what I really loved about his character mm. was his sense of uprightness and integrity. <laughs> and then if you take that away, like he's basically a different character. <laughs> That's so interesting. But yeah, yeah, I I don't know. I just think he's very vanilla in this movie. Um, and I, I, you know, he has a couple little, I also really like that he has kind of a snarky sense of humor, which to me makes him, I mean, he is, he exists to be the bland, you know, nice, correct, all romantic alternate that is eventually thrown over, which, you know, he does perfectly well, but I do like, they give him a couple of lines where he'll be like, lads you will all remember this is the day that captain jack sparrow almost escaped mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like yeah laughing on the inside yeah i mean i don't dislike him like i i don't actively dislike him i'm and i think he is like an important part of this movie and character like 
he he plays a very important role in terms of advancing the story and things like that. Like I, I'm happy that he's here. But at the same time, I'm like, you're definitely the guy with a stick up his butt who's just kind of like, dude, like, chill out, ch- like, chill out a little bit. Like, it's really not that big of a like, it's OK, you know, <laughs> which I think he gets there at the end because yeah. he's like, we can afford to give him a day's head start. You know, like he chills mm-hmm. out a bit. But yeah, he has for- a nice little vi- slightly relaxing character arc. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things that me and my sister used to always laugh at watching this movie was the the moment during his like not coronation but when he's like you know the yeah. ceremony for when he's becoming the commodore you know he's walking down this slide and he's very serious and then we have this clip of of we see elizabeth kind of struggling to breathe <laughs> but in the background he's just like doing this weird sword performance like yeah. pointing it up at the sky and then spinning it like a baton i remember and I'm like, seeing an interview with uh, jack davenport the actor and he's like i trained for three weeks to do all <laughs> of these tricks and then they decided not to include it and just put it in the background <laughs> poor guy he gets he gets yeah. that one moment at the end on the ship when he gets like a five second shot of him like sword fighting yeah. the the um the the skeletons but that's yeah. that's really yeah, he's, it. he's competent he's not he's not he didn't get to the, the position he's in by not being competent. oh yeah for sure i'm fully confident that he's very gifted in his sword play but me and my sister used to just always laugh at that scene because <laughs> yeah. that that ceremony is like so serious and he's taking it so seriously. Yeah. Like it's like, dude, you realize <laughs> this is hilarious, right? <laughs> yeah. Like what you're doing is completely silly. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, anyway, so that's my five minute justice for Norrington Corner. Um, I'm here for it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I I would hope that people wouldn't really fight you on that all that much but um I I would like to say just kind of while we're talking about performances um I just wanted to say I kind of mentioned before that there's people that are just having so much fun in this movie and I want to shout out Kevin McNally who is (gasps) clearly just like him and Jeffrey Rush I'm like y'all are just like having you know exactly who your grand old time like you guys are having so much fun and there's this one guy who is so over the top that I'm like, yeah, it's the guy who's like, and it's you who brought us here in the first place. Like, yeah. I'm like, dude, you are so, so intense. Like, what? <laughs> like, I was just watching the movie and I'm like, you are just going all out on this guy, but you believe in it and you believe in what you're doing. So it works for me. Mm-hmm. Everyone commits so hard. So and that's hard. what makes it work that's what makes it so magical is you'd never believe that anyone is other than who they are like yeah. I remember watching Kevin McNally and other things and it's just that's Mr. Gibbs why is Mr. Gibbs doing yes. something else like, I don't understand <laughs> I love I love I guess it's not our introduction to him because we see him in like the flashback slash um uh Elizabeth's dream but when we first find him and he's <laughs> sleeping on the pigs when Jack Sparrow does his like thing trying to wake him up the moment when he's, you clearly see, he's like thinking so hard, trying to understand what he just said. And then he's like, I, that'll about do it. But like for two to three seconds, you can tell he's like really trying yeah. to figure out what he's Another little great mo- Will moment is right after that Will pours another bucket of water on it and he's like, why'd you do that? I'm already awake. And Will's like, that was for, that the, was smell. for the smell. And, yeah. and Gibbs is like, all right, fair enough. Yeah, fair, fair enough. <laughs> I will say the um, 
the guy um i don't actually know his name i'm looking at it right now it says pintel but for people who don't know he's the one who everyone always says the code to him it's always to him but he always makes me think of the he's in he's in Seinfeld and there's this one uh, moment where he like runs up during a funeral that's like a very you know morose quiet tragic funeral and he like he's like hey she didn't commit suicide she was murdered by Jerry Seinfeld <laughs> like every time I see him it just makes me think of that like brief moment he has in that oh, episode man. of the show that's funny because um, I was just thinking I've seen Mackenzie Crook and so many other things but I've never seen I don't remember oh, no it's seeing... it's Lee Ehrenberg not not Mackenzie oh. Crook okay well no the the I was just thinking I've seen Mackenzie Crook and so many other things but the other you know his partner oh, oh i don't oh, yeah. remember ever seeing that actor in anything else i yeah. probably have i just wouldn't recognize him damn to the depths whatever mutton had thought of parley. thought of parley yeah i i remember when i first watched this movie the the one because a lot of the movie is just like fun and interesting the one movie that actually scared me was the one when he steps in front of the crack oh. in the door and it's like hello poppet hello poppet that was that was to us the gold <laughs> the gold the gold um but yeah that that was like the one part in the movie yeah. that scared me but everything else i just mm-hmm. thought was like super cool i was like skeletons cool <laughs> like they they don't die cool <laughs> <laughs> oh it is very cool i also remember this is a really random bit of memory for someone who's uh, basically of exactly my age but the vhs's that we used to rent from the video store at this era if it was a disney Mm -hmm. film they would always inevitably have this featurette at the beginning of it talking about this upcoming movie pirates Mm. of the caribbean and it had interviews with the um the ilm people doing all the cgi effects and they would have little clips of the pirates walking underneath the boat and climbing up the ropes to go ropes to go and attack and um so that was my first like introduction to the even the concept of this movie was just this random featurette that was at the beginning of disney vhs's of this era i don't know if anyone out there knows what the hell i'm talking about no i know what you're talking about okay thank you thank you it's just a very very strong memory yeah 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 anyway should we uh yeah should we make some progress let's make some progress (laughs) Yeah, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I just like there's just so many little moments again that I I feel like we I don't want us to miss. So I think going through the plot would just be nice. Absolutely. Um, So, yeah, we have this intro scene that is um, set. I think it's eight years before the events of the main movie. And it's Governor Swan, who, by the way, shout out to Jonathan Price. This is my first introduction to Jonathan Price. He's great as the governor in this movie. Yep. Um, and then Elizabeth Swan, his daughter, they're sailing over to the Caribbean. Um, Norrington's on the boat. He's only a lieutenant um, at this point. Gibbs is on the boat as well as like the some sort of sailor person. But they come across <laughs> sailor person. <laughs> uh, but they come across this wreck. This ship has been like completely blasted apart and burning and is sinking and everything. And the only survivor is this little boy who's on a <clears throat> a, a raft of some some wood. So they take him on board. Elizabeth's looking after him and she sees that he has this little pirate medallion. And she, we've learned, is like obsessed with pirate lore, like which kind of She's concerns. more obsessed with treasure than Will is. She really is. No, she's just she's just like a pirate fangirl, you know? Mm-hmm. She's like read all the accounts. She's really excited about it. Her father's a little bit worried about it. She studied the code, like mm-hmm. yeah. 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 But so she takes the medallion and then she sees off in the distance this 
pirate ship with black sails sailing away. Um, and then we cut in the great little, like, her eyes close and then adult Kira Knightley's eyes open and it's the adult. present day. She's 17. 17, which She's is insane. She's 17. Her, Dang. the way that her performance carries so much of this film and she's 17 freaking years old is insane. Yep. Yeah. Love, love Kira Knightley. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so we're in the present day, quotation marks. Um, she's waking up. <laughs> she's like, I wish she's, this was my present day. I know. That'd be right? awesome. <laughs> Um, she's still got the pirate medallion. It's she's got it hidden away, and her <clears throat> she puts it on, and then her dad comes in to give her this dress, and is like, "We gotta go. We gotta go to um, Norrington ceremony." And um, first of all, we establish that she does not like corsets, which just wanted to give a little, you know, the the way that corsets are dressed in this era is not actually historically accurate. Corsets would not well, have been women in London in this must era. have learned not to breathe. It's ridiculous that Kira Knightley. Elizabeth Swan would not have already been wearing corsets. Like, what the hell? What else would she be wearing? Because they were like bras. But it's fine. Whatever. <laughs> it sets up a great line later on, so we can forgive it. Um, but we also learn that Commodore Norrington is interested in Elizabeth and is probably going to um, ask her to marry him. Um, and- we also we also learn that um, Governor Swan has an incredible wig. He does. Well, we can't. We can't forget about this yeah. one that he's willing to risk his life fighting for <laughs> yeah. at the end of this movie. Yeah. It is like a full like Charles the Second like curls upon curls upon. It's curls. incredible. It's I mean, I just magnificent. I just think about like the hairstylist, how much time they must have spent on that wig, like how many they had. You know, that must have been really tedious work but also probably a really fun time yeah much appreciation to just the costuming and the hairstyles and the makeup in this movie because it's all really excellent yep um so will arrives at the house to drop off the sword that which is perfectly balanced perfectly balanced perfectly balanced he does this little this cool little flip with it um which if you watch the bloopers to this movie which i have many times um there's like ten thousand bloopers of him trying to do the flip and failing um but yeah there's this nice little moment where the governor's like tell your master you know that i really appreciate his work and will gets his look on his face where he's like i shall I shall. And it's like, clearly the master did not create this sword. Will did, but Will does not want to give away, you know, that fact. So he's just like, sure. Okay. Like I said, he's just reacting, you know, mm-hmm. he, he's not, he's just kind of like, well, all right. Yeah, he's there. <laughs> um, but Elizabeth comes down, she's all dressed, she looks great. And clearly there's some there's like longing going on between will and elizabeth because she's all like will i had a dream about you last night call me elizabeth about don't call me, me swan and will's like ah, ah i i can't he, he is just a doe-eyed oh like little little boy who mm-hmm. has no idea what to do with himself every single time he's in the presence of this person yeah it is so sweet because and i i do think they have really good chemistry because it's like she's the more for she's the higher social position she's the more forward one she's the one who's like i want us to be close i want us to be friends i want us to call each other by our first name and will's the one who feels like he needs to maintain some propriety between them because he's the lower class one he has more to lose and the governor's like slightly scandalized by his daughter but just once more miss swan as always 
as always. Oh, so romantic. I, I will say, speaking of before Orlando Bloom's performance and, and moments that were um, good, I, I, I don't know why this just came to my mind, but I actually do like his performance in that moment when him and Kira Knightley, like when he's wrapping her hand and he kind of freaks out and he's like the blood of a pirate and he like holds his hand up to his face and slams it on the table. Mm. I'm like, ooh, gritty. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> a little bit of a darker side. Let, let's get more of like dark-sided Will. That's yeah. cool. Well, Which I we guess, get a lot more of in the next two movies. I was going to say, maybe this is why you like the sequel so much because we do get a lot of dark side Will there. There's also just more sword fighting. There's I don't know. Sword fighting. There's I, that the, great three-way sword fight, which I always really loved. So good. One. Yeah, and it's just, they're a lot more gritty. Well, the second one, maybe not so much, because it's got grit in terms of Davy Jones, but anything that's not Davy Jones is like, we're spitting in circles on these, like, <laughs> you know, I don't even know what they are. I forget what they are, like the water wheel things. Or yeah, like, okay, cool. yeah, yeah. Um, I need but to anyway. rewatch those sequels. It's been a few years. I I remember liking parts of the second one while also being disappointed by some story choices, but then the third one is just kind of a blur to me because I just can never tell. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much CGI and so much double crossing and I just completely lose track of all all plot but threads it's, at a certain it's a point. movie it's a movie where you should not be thinking while you watch it. Like seriously, if you think you're going to you're going to tie yourself in circles and then you're going to be frustrated because it doesn't lead to anything in the end. Like it's just like, "Oh, so we're not getting an answer to that question?" Cool. Like it's just meant to sit back and enjoy the vibes and the more you think about it, the worse your experience is going to be. I will say talking about the next two, one thing I do really like about this movie, which I remember even when I was younger watching these movies, I was like, "Why did that why did that happen? This first movie has lots of people of color in it. And the second of third one, the second and third one are like all white people, except for Calypso. Yeah, they do. Everyone is white. But yeah, like we have we have some um, we have a little bit of like Asian representation in the third one. And, you know, we're insinuating that some of Davy Jones's people in the second one are like Jamaican or whatever. Um, in a way that might be controversial. I don't know. I haven't seen that movie in a while. But this movie has a lot of people of color in it that kind of just like disappears in the next two. And that is a big disappointment for me. I don't know where these actors went. They seem to be pretty well established in their roles. And obviously some of them died But um, in this movie. But I don't know. I, I don't understand why that happened. And I think it's really unfortunate because um, it just is dumb and doesn't make sense to me. But yeah, anyway. Well, it's such a like a rewatching this. I'd completely forgotten that Zoe Saldana was in it. She's such a fun presence. And she's not in any for to my memory. She's not in any of the sequels. I don't know she why. Is not. I mean, I hope the reason is just she got some great movie offers and went off to be a movie star. But it is really unfortunate because I would have loved to see her become a bigger part of the the later movies. Yeah. Um, okay. So um, they all go to the ceremony where uh, Norrington is being promoted to Commodore. And um, <laughs> like Tatum said, there's just this great scene where Elizabeth is struggling to breathe in her, her new corset. And in the background, you just see Norrington do all these sword tricks for no apparent reason. <laughs> Um, shout out by the way to just the production design in this movie. Like, I'm pretty sure they built this entire fort for this movie, and it looks. I think they great. did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks so good. 
Um, <clears throat> so afterwards, Norrington takes Elizabeth up to this this really high perch. Um, don't know why he decides to do this, but he's proposing to her, and he's like, "Oh, you know, I've I've always loved you, and like I, you know, I want to marry you and stuff." And she's like dying because she can't breathe, and he turns <laughs> his back, and she just falls right off. He's like, I can't breathe either. I'm so nervous. I know. He's like, like, yes, I'm a little nervous as well, which is really funny. Um, Uh, But while all this has been going down, uh, Jack Sparrow. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Has the greatest introduction. Yes. Possibly the greatest introduction, character introduction in movie history is he's on like the top mast and the the music is playing. It's all like, you know, exciting and heroic and everything. And then he looks down. he, He sees that there's water in the bottom of his boat. So he jumps down and then it pulls out. And you see he's in this tiny little boat. <laughs> That's like leaking and like leaking. Like literally it is it is in the process of sinking. Like. And then it just he just he's on the mast and he's just proudly standing there as the boat is sinking and going into the dock. And it just perfectly lines up where it stops. And it's just the mast sticking out of the water. And he just steps right off onto the dock. And it's so and I, well timed. I really like that introduction not just like you know the whole boat and everything but when he takes that first step and we're first introduced to his walk mm-hmm. I don't know it's just so distinctive. It's, it, it's so well established of like we know who this person is mm-hmm. like right away yeah and we also instantly have that part where the 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 dock like you know whatever administrator um man's the dock he comes up and he's like you needed to pay a shilling to tie up your boat here even though the boat is at the bottom of the the and jack like turns around looks at it and is like seriously (laughs) like really (laughs) but jack just like bribes him he's like oh my name is you know here's what did we say to three shillings and we forget the name that's right welcome to port royal mr smith and it's just Again, it just sums up in one go, you know, this guy, he's a scallywag. He can scam his way out of everything. He has incredible luck. He also knows exactly what he's doing. He can just act confident and get away with anything. Um, yeah, it's perfect. It's a perfect yep. introduction. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, while the ceremony is happening, he's trying to scam his way onto this uh, sh- ship that he like, there's this just great conversation that he has with these two British guards where he's like oh yeah I'm trying to to steal the ship so I can go and pillage and plunder and they're like no you're not if you if you were then you wouldn't have told us no no no. I think he's telling the truth what and like <laughs> the way he just unless of course them, he knew you wouldn't believe the truth even if he told it to you <laughs> the way he just confuses them and then like it cuts away in the next scene you see them just gathered around wrapped while he's telling them stories it's just so great um but yeah, so Elizabeth faints, falls in the water. Jack, since he's down at the boat, <laughs> love, sees it. I love how he goes. He's like, will you be saving her? I can't swim. He's, he's like, like, pride of the King's Navy, you are. <laughs> like, yeah. So funny. Do not lose these. <laughs> yeah. So he jumps in. He saves her. But very importantly, the medallion, the pirate medallion she'd been wearing, when it hits the water, it causes some sort of tremor. And we see that the wind changes when that it's happens. A signal. Mm-hmm. There are like these these skeleton pirate skeletons that have been hanged out, and you can see them drifting in the wind, which is very cool. Um, <clears throat> so Jack takes her to shore. Instantly, everyone's trying to put Jack in prison, and Elizabeth's like, "No, no, no! What are you doing? Like this man just saved me. Don't, you know, don't put him in prison. You should be thanking him." And then Norrington's like, "All right." thanks are in order and they go to shake hands and then he finds the jack's um little 
pirate brand. And he's like, all right, hang him. <laughs> I also like his Jack Sparrow tattoo. I think it's cool. It is very cool. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so Jack manages to escape by using Elizabeth. We also establish here that Jack Sparrow insists every time that oh, he yes. be called Captain Jack Captain Sparrow. Jack Sparrow. I don't see your ship. I'm in the market, as it were. As it were. He said he'd come to commandeer one. These are his... Uh... Sorry, <laughs> I literally, like... I feel I like know. you... I feel like you, your brain, remembers, like, actors that are on the screen for two seconds, whereas my brain is like, I can remember any single line from any movie I've ever seen, which is, like, worthless space in my brain. Like, why am I taking up so much space? But, like, I could literally quote this, ent- <laughs> yeah. this entire movie from they're, start they're to finish. They're roughly equally useless, but also great. Yeah, there's also that great, um, he's like, hmm, a compass that doesn't point north, pistol with only one shot, and he pulls out the sword, and he's like, and I half expected it to be made of wood. Yep. Yeah. Um. So Jack escapes doing, like, a cool, he's got the handcuffs on. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, wait, yeah. that's when we have the line when he's like, you are without doubt the worst pirate I've ever oh, heard yes. of. And then it goes, but you have heard of me. <laughs> Which is a great comeback, gotta say. It is a great comeback. It's like yeah. the fact that you've heard of him at all, like, mm-hmm. that's that's a big deal. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, he escapes. Um, he, like, he, like, somehow figures out to grab onto one rope and then push one little lever. And then all of a sudden the rope is flying up in the air and he's How flying convenient. around. And, yeah, yeah. That's classic geneva watching this and thinking maybe my life if i make the right choices my life could one day <laughs> bring me to the point where i am in this situation uh, okay <laughs> i genuinely hope that for you thank you thank you you know never give up hope <clears throat> never give up i mean dreams. i believe dragons are real and i will find one someday okay. so yeah so um so i think we have our, our dreams are aligned um so Jack, so he goes and escapes into, by coincidence, the blacksmith shop where Will has just arrived. And Will has heard about what happened. He's like, you threatened Miss Swan. And Jack is like, hmm. Only a little. Only a little. I love that line when he like does that thing with the sword. He's like, only a little. Yes. And so Jack is basically like, oh, this young upstart, I'm going to give you a little fencing lesson on my way out. And so they start sword fighting. But it turns out, Will, I who makes all of these? I do. And I practice with them, practice with them three hours a three day. Three hours a day. You need to find yourself a girl, mate. Yes. <laughs> so good. I practice with them three hours a day because when I meet a pirate, so that when I meet a pirate, I can kill it. <laughs> Let me call it it, not him. It. Yep. yep. Hey, it could be a her. Yeah, you never know. But this, oh my goodness, this is to my mind, genuinely one of the greatest sword fights ever put to film. It is so well done. The choreography is amazing. The interplay between the two of them and how Jack is kind of, you know, oh, I step here and you step there. He's sort of coaching Will a little bit on the way. And it kind of becomes increasingly chaotic as Jack is getting more desperate and Will is getting more desperate to stop it. And all of a sudden they're going on the the wagon and like bouncing up into the... (laughs) into the rafters and then they're fighting in the rafters and then they come back down and it kind of reminds me of um of the the sword fight in princess bride where like another one of the greatest sword fights ever yeah where it's like they start out kind of fighting but then um but then uh oh um 
Man, I haven't seen the movie. Why am I, for, why am I forgetting his name? Um, Wesley or yeah, Wesley is kind of like toying with him a little bit mm-hmm. and like cracking all these little jokes while they're playing, and then it just escalates to the scene where he's doing. I'm like, not left-handed. Like, I'm not left-handed either. Yeah, and I don't know if people know this term if they're not gymnasts, but like he starts doing giants like on this on this bar, you know, it just like escalates so much, and and obviously this movie like it's a different it's different choreography, but it kind of gives me a similar a similar sort of energy, you know. It's like the choreography is great, but also we've got this cool like playful aspect to it as well. Yeah, yeah, playful is a really good way to put it. And I I always think that the best fight scenes, particularly fencing scenes, because it is just two characters who are facing each other down, it can't just be really nice choreography. There has to be breaks, there has to be dialogue exchanges, there have to be choices that are being made that develop who these characters are and what their relationship is to one another, and this scene does that so well. You raped her! You murdered her! You killed her children! (laughs) say her name who gave you the order wait which is this from (gasps) geneva it's from the sword fight between prince oberon and the mountain oh of course of course they're their duel when they're fighting for um they're fighting for Tyrion's Tyrion's freedom see i've never been able to bring myself to rewatch that scene it's a trial by combat and it ends in the worst it's way one possible. Of the, it's one of the, it's so good it's so anyway good. Uh, yeah so good yeah yeah <clears throat> r.i.p prince oberon mm-hmm. game of thrones reference for anyone who's not sure what we're talking about <laughs> yeah <laughs> um anyway or okay. if you read the books a song of ice and fire either one's fine yes there you go <laughs> um where were we? oh yes so yeah they fight they fight they fight jack finally plays the dirty trick on will he like he like slices some sand or something that goes all over will and um but then oh it's like just then is when the the soldiers break in and the blacksmith who had been like drunk in the corner asleep the entire time breaks up yes um and bashes jack over the head with the bottle and then they come in and they're like thank you mr blacksmith and will's like oh well okay (laughs) yep yeah just doing my civic duty, sir. <laughs> Lads, I will trust you remember this is the day that Captain Jack Sparrow almost, almost escaped. escaped. Take him away. <clears throat> I also love how incredibly chill Jack is in the prison. Like he's li- like he's just he's just hanging out, man. He is, yeah. Yeah. He's it's like he has been lucky his entire life and so he's just like, nope. Something's going to turn up. Something's going to gonna happen. Free. I don't need to worry too hard about it. And you know what? He's right. <laughs> he is very right. <laughs> um, so I think it's after this, right? That the pretty much right after this, that the Black Pearl attacks. Um, yeah. So which is a great scene all on its own. So they sail in at night. It's like all cloudy. The, the, the clouds are covering the moon, which is very crucial. And they start firing off cannons and... They're landing on the shore and people are running around and screaming and they come up to the the governor's house um, to get Elizabeth. And I, I've always loved the the scene of Elizabeth and her maid. The maid's like, they're trying to kidnap you. You're the governor's, the governor's daughter. daughter. <laughs> well, the thing is, is like, I, I love how this maid gets this moment where she feels like she genuinely like knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, girl, that's not at all what's happening. Yeah. Like, well, she's not, not wrong. They want to kidnap her. It's not. Well, I mean, it's just yes. not because she's the governor's daughter. Yeah. It's like she they're not. First of all, she has no idea that they're coming for her necessarily. But then she's like, you're the governor's daughter. And it's like, that's not. 
that's not what's happening here but she says it so confidently so confidently <laughs> and also strangely i'm like i don't know yeah mm-hmm. that's that's a weird delivery of that yeah. line <laughs> but um yeah so she manages to escape and presumably goes to the fort and warns them that um they were after elizabeth but elizabeth has this really great moment where she like um she takes the little uh the oven like coal heater thing that goes in the bed to keep the bed warm and like i need one of those i know right <laughs> wax the pirates over the head with it and then opens it up so that the coals fall on them and then she runs off and she almost manages to escape but she does um she invokes the right of parley yes yeah so she's found in the dining room and she goes parley and then she just starts quoting all the code and they're like wait why why do you know all of this yeah um so they take her to the ship where she meets Barbosa and crucially will this has been in the town like you know fighting trying to save the townsfolk and he sees her being carried off and he's like no Elizabeth but then he gets bonked on the head um before he can go after her so she's taken to the ship she instantly is like all right I'm here to establish negotiations with the <laughs> like she is such the daughter of a politician she's just like I'm going to you know, uh, negotiate the cessation of hostilities or whatever the really long line terms that she has. And oh man, I, I love really her love Barbosa so much. I really love how smart and clever Barbosa is. Like you really understand, you can see the backstory as to why he was chosen as the new captain after they, you know, mutiny uh, had the mutiny. Because we have these moments twice where like people are trying to negotiate with him. And he does acquiesce their request, but in a way where he's like, but you didn't specify, like, you didn't actually, you know, we told you that we would leave here, but we never agreed that I would take you back to shore. Like, so I must do, that was not a part of agreement, therefore I must do nothing. And then we see later on, you know, Will's like, Elizabeth goes free! And then he's like, yes, we know that one, anything else. And then they let them go, and he's like, I agreed she'd go free, but you were the one who failed to specify when or where. Yeah, and he's, he's not, he's, he's fair-minded. <laughs> yeah, and I just love how, you know, he's just this really clever guy, and clearly, you know, Elizabeth is this very smart, intelligent woman who's very informed, but Barbosa goes toe-to-toe with yeah, her. Yeah, she's, like, she's out of her depth here. And he's like, we're not but humble pirates. Can you use simpler oh, words? And I then she starts line. using simpler words. And then later on, he starts using really complicated yeah. phrases. <laughs> he's like, we're like, not but know. humble pirates. And she's like, you know, she says what she wants. And he goes, I am disinclined to acquiesce to your request. It mm-hmm. means no. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I just, he's such a, I honestly, like, Maybe this is an unpopular opinion and maybe it's because I've seen so many like versions of Jack Sparrow at this point that it feels a little bit old, but I think that Barbosa is my favorite character. Oh, Barbosa is 100% my favorite character. Like I really like been. him a lot. Mm-hmm. And I'm yeah. so glad that they brought him back. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Little I does Elizabeth know in this moment that someday he will be the one to marry her and Will while they are fighting oh, in, a, right. <laughs> in a crazy tsunami storm that was caused by Calypso as all of the ships are crashing into the sea. Little could they have known <laughs> how life would treat them. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So, so they basically, Elizabeth has figured out that what they want is the little pirate medallion that she has. They ask who she is, and she doesn't want to give her real name. So she says that she's Elizabeth Turner. But this is very crucial because we'll find out later the pirates are also looking for the descendant of Will Turner, William Turner. 
um, but they don't know who that child is, if it's a boy or a girl. So they assume she's her last name's Turner. She's got the medallion. She's got to be the daughter of William Turner. And so they're going to kidnap her as well. And they're just, they agree to, like you said, they agree to stop uh, attacking the town, but she never negotiated them putting her ashore. So they're not going to do it. Um, yeah. So they and, sail off. and that's why there's no sense to be killing her yet. yet. <laughs> um, oh, man. <clears throat> okay. So Will wakes up the next morning. He's like, Elizabeth's been carried off by the pirates. We got to go save That's her. That's not good enough. <laughs> yeah. Norrington is like, you know, trying to establish, a, calmly establish some sort of like, all right, we got to rebuild the, our fortifications. We got to go after the pirates. You know, we're doing this by the book. And Will's like, no, no, no. Let's go negotiate with Jack Sparrow. He's a pirate. He he must know where the pirates all go. <laughs> Norrington's like, what are you Which talking about? Which he's not wrong. No. If I was Norrington I and Will came in and was like, valid. yeah, if Nor- Will came in and was like, you have one pirate in custody. We were just attacked by other pirates. Obviously, that one pirate can help you get to the other pirates. I'd be like, no, not all pirates. Like, clearly, they left him in prison. So Jack Sparrow is not a part of their crew. And you're just a blacksmith. Like, you have no fighting experience. Like, why are you trying to dictate policy to me? Like, get out of here. Oh, so you're on Norrington's side here. Well, I I think that Will's proposal is completely legitimate. I don't think it's dumb. I think Norrington... it. Obviously, Will is correct, but I think from Norrington's perspective, it makes complete sense that he dismisses it because it's like, no, there's no reason to think that would succeed. It does because it's a movie, but like objectively, if this was reality, I can see why he'd be like, that doesn't make any sense. Um, <clears throat> so Will decides to take matters into his own hands and he goes to Jack Sparrow in prison and is like, hey, I helped build these bars, so I know the secret code to, like, let them... Which is leverage? Like, leverage. okay. <laughs> Glad that no one else ever figured that out. Yeah. Um, but he's like, yeah, I can get you out of here if you help me rescue Elizabeth. And Jack, he agrees once he realizes who Will is, once he learns Will's last name, because he knows that the Black Pearl pirates are going to be after Will is because he's the actual Turner. Um, so, but he doesn't tell Will this yet. Um, so he's like, okay. Um, so they, they, they break out, sneak off. Um, there's a great moment where, I think this is actually a reference to the Crimson Pirate, the Burke Lancaster movie that I mentioned earlier, where they take this overturned rowboat and use it to walk along the bottom of the ocean, which is very cool. When I was a kid, I did not understand that at all. I was like, how is this working? This doesn't make sense. And I get it now, but it really Mm -hmm. frustrated me when I was young. I was like, this is a cheat. Like, you can't, you can't do this. Like, this doesn't make sense. (laughs) It's very cool. Uh, I don't know how well it would work in, in actuality, but like with the buoyancy. We should try it. We should definitely try try it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. So they Jack puts together this really complicated plan where they try to steal one ship and then the British go after them. But while they're like taking back the ship, they sail over to the first ship, which has already been made ready to sail and then sail off with it. And it's pretty clever. I don't know how it works. It doesn't make any sense that it works. But can I just say there's a lot of instances in this movie where everyone leaves the ship it doesn't make any and then sense. people like who go to steal the ship they have a really easy time of doing it because everyone left i'm like <laughs> yeah. when someone attacks you or when you're at war or whatever like 
you should all not be leaving the ship every time. And that happens several times in this movie, whether it's like the pirates or, you know, the or the government or whoever. Like there's several moments when it's like, oh, something's happened. Everyone leave the ship. I'm like, (laughs) stop doing that. I'm pretty sure it's a poor strategy. I know. I'm pretty sure it's standard practice. If your ship is in the middle of the ocean, there should be at least one person on it. Like, what if something happens? Like, come on. Well, I feel like. I mean, some of the times there's two people left behind or whatever, like at the end when Elizabeth breaks onto the ship to free, you know, her her pirates from her crew. It's yeah, like they but left there's two like, people there's behind. There's a core guard but, there. Yeah. But two is not enough. Yeah. Like, y- you should leave at least like 15 people. <laughs> I don't I just I don't get it. I know. <laughs> and it happens over and over again in this movie. <laughs> but fortunately, they don't leave anyone, so Will and Jack can just sail on off. <laughs> and then Thank we have that you, great Commodore moment. Norrington for helping us make way. <laughs> we have we that would great have had a hard Norrington's... time of it by ourselves. Yeah. Norrington's assistant is like, that's got to be the best pirate I've ever seen. And Norrington's like, so it would seem. <laughs> so mad. Um <clears throat> all right. So they sail off. Um they head to Tortuga because they need to pick up a bigger crew. Um, but on the way Jack explains to Will that um, Will is the son of a pirate named William Turner. And Will does not react very well to this. But um, Jack is like, well, you know, in fighting, there's only two options. What a man can't do and what a man can't do. I could, uh, you know, throw you off this ship, but I can't make my way to Tortuga all alone. And you could accept that your father's a pirate or you could not. And Will's like, okay. Um, let's see. So they head to Tortuga. Um, that's where we meet up with Mr. Gibbs again. Um, and Jack explains to Gibbs all about how, um, Will is the son of William Turner and he's going to use that fact as leverage so that he can get what he wants from Barbosa. I don't remember at what point we learned exactly the fact that Jack used to be the captain of the Black Pearl and Barbosa led a mutiny against will and the whole backstory of um we learn when when gibbs explains it to will okay yeah so it's like they're they're on the ship and will's kind of asking he's like okay he's got this compass he seems really driven to go to this place like what gives like i want to save elizabeth but what is his motivation and gibbs is like well let me tell you about the lore of Captain Jack Sparrow. Okay, gotcha. We have to mention also that um, at Tortuga, Jack does get um, deservedly slapped by several oh, women. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which becomes a recurring thing throughout the movies. But yeah. And Will is like clearly so uncomfortable in this place. Yeah. He's like, I don't know how to interact with this. This yeah. is just so much. Him in the, the like brothel bar place where... Um, Jack's put him on like, all right, keep a lookout while I go talk to Mr. Gibbs. <laughs> and this like, this like, I guess prostitute who's working in this tavern come up to him and is like, hey. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, funny. I don't know how to interact. With I don't you. know what's what going do. on. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So while all this is happening, Elizabeth's on board the Black Pearl and we hear she has dinner with Barbosa and Barbosa explains what the treasure is, which the Barbosa, uh, the treasure is this like cursed Aztec treasure, which when you take pieces of it, you're condemned to live a sort of half existence. And so the crew of the Black Pearl took the treasure 
they didn't believe the curse, but after a while they started to realize that the curse was real. And so for the last 10 plus years, they've been trying to collect every piece of treasure that they've spent all throughout 888 identical pieces Mm -hmm. and they've got them all except for one which is the one that elizabeth had and to but to lift the curse not only do you need the actual piece of treasure itself you need the blood of the person who took it and since they had um gotten it's very lucky that all (laughs) of the other 887 people were still I know, right? Well, I'm assuming that one person can take multiple. True. It's not 887 people. It's just that many pieces. I guess Will Turner only took one piece for himself, (laughs) I guess. Um, But anyway. He was a good man. He was a good pirate. So he only took Although, I guess actually he could have taken more. It's just that we need his blood. We just have one piece left, but we also need his blood. Blood, anyway. Yeah, little little nuances of pirate lore. Uh, but yeah, so they need his blood. Um, since they're assuming that she is his daughter, they're going to need her blood. I guess they don't explain that to her at this point because she doesn't tell them that she's not the the child. But anyway, um, Elizabeth like freaks out and tries to stab Barbosa, but Barbosa's like, he pulls the knife out and it's covered in blood and he's like, ah. <laughs> and then she like runs outside and all of the pirates are out in the full moon and they're dun, all skeletons. And it's great. And she's running around and she gets like, she falls she's down. She's thrown the, in the air she's by being, like, people that are like. And like caught by one that's swinging on a line. And she's screaming and everything. And I love that moment with that one guy where like she she pulls the um like the, the steering wheel or, yeah. or whatever you call it. And his head pops off and then he puts it back on. He's mm-hmm. like. <laughs> like it's so cool and then she like runs back into Barbosa, and he gives that line that I gave the quote at the beginning and he like pops the cork off a bottle of rum and starts drinking it and you can see all the rum dripping down his insides because he's a skeleton and everything and it's, it's I great. do I did have a thought while watching this I was like how do they talk when they're skeletons if they don't have tongues <laughs> doesn't make any sense like, well how do they move they have no muscles if their tongues just dis- oh yeah like how does how does this work <laughs> no <laughs> it doesn't it's it's supernatural don't don't think too hard about it um but yeah it's great it's great i love it so much um even though the cgi is like mm, you know it's clearly I early i think 2000s. it's aged well like it could look so much worse than it does it could it's true it's like true. it does it obviously looks old and dated but in my opinion it doesn't look laughable it's not like oh my gosh this is a bunch of weird like computer oids just kind of walking around like it it, it, it's convincing for me yeah it probably helps that by design the skeletons are always going to be at night and kind of half in shadow Mm -hmm. so that that was probably a very smart choice on their part because that also hides a lot of sins i think skeletons are a little bit less detailed than like a human like you know the intricacies of the muscles and how the eyes move and and eyebrows when they smile and all that stuff it's like no it's it's just bones It's really just bones. <laughs> yeah. They already look so, un- you know, inhuman. They already look so creepy. <clears throat> anyway. Um, all right. I'm kind of like forgetting the exact order of things, but um, the Elizabeth and the crew of the Black Pearl arrive at the island and they do the um, the ceremony. Where like, <laughs> and he like dramatic barbosa dramatically takes out this knife (laughs) by blood undone (laughs) he takes out this knife as if he's about to slit her throat and then he just takes her hand and makes a little cut on it (laughs) yep 
Waste like, that's not. That's it. That's it. He goes, waste not. Waste not. <laughs> Which is great. Yep. Um, and then the next time, the next time Pintel's like, oh, it's no big deal. Just a prick of the finger. A few drops of blood. And then the guy's like, oh, no, no. She's only half Turner. We'll spill it all. Oh, well, I guess there is reason to fret. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, man. We just, this movie's so funny is the thing. I, this is one of the mm-hmm. things that I think makes it so successful. And I know you disagree, but I, I'm not as crazy about the sequels as you and a big part of it is because I think it starts to lose sight of the lightness and funniness of the first one. I think they get too dour. Um, I mean, this is the best of the three, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, yeah. So they do the ceremony, but they are not turned back into humans. They are still cursed, which is demonstrated. The curse is still upon us. Yes. <laughs> that wait, one he's guy. Like, wait, did it work? How do we know? Barbarsa pulls out a pistol and just shoots Pintel right through the chest. And he's like, you're not dead. No, I'm not. He shot me. He shot me. <laughs> um, so Elizabeth. And then we get that great line later mm-hmm. where he's like, that one guy who's super intense, like, and it's you who brought us here in the first place. Yeah. It's like, dude. Oh, my God. Yeah, they're all clearly on the, on the edge of mutinying against Barbosa because Barbosa is the one who led them to be cursed in the first place, which, you know. Yep. Which, like, I feel like this is another one of those things where I need to not think about it very hardly. Or like because you know Barbosa has this thing where he's like, if anyone here dare challenge me, like let them do so, and I'm like, well, you can't kill him, so like <laughs> yeah. you guys, you guys could sword fight for to, like for someone mm-hmm. to be captain, but no one's gonna die. So like, yeah, I mean, I, I don't guess think the most they I don't think do a sword is... fight is gonna determine yeah like who's gonna be <laughs> captain. Yeah, I guess the most they could do is physically overpower him and send him down to Davy Jones' locker. Um. But I guess they haven't gotten to that point yet. <clears throat> or maroon him on an island. Oh, or that. So Jack and Will arrive, and Will. But if they maroon him on an island, he could just go down to the depths of the water and walk because just walk his way off. Yeah, yeah just <laughs> it might take him a long time, yeah, but... but you know, he get there eventually. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So Jack and Will arrive. Will like. Dis- realizes that Jack is planning something. He doesn't know exactly what, but he knocks out Jack and he goes and rescues Elizabeth herself. Jack is then captured by the crew of the Black Pearl, but he's like, hey, I've got this leverage. I know why her blood didn't work, and if you keep me alive, we can bargain. The girl's blood didn't work, did it? Mm. He's so sassy. He's like, so s- The part like, where he's he- caught, he catch, he's like caught by the pirates, and he's like, and they're like, parsnip, partner, partner. Parley, that's the one. <laughs> I feel like he is always one step ahead of everybody, but mm-hmm. purely by chance. Purely like, by stupid dumb luck. Yeah, it just happens that he mm-hmm. always happens to be one step ahead of everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> but I love how he plays it. Like that one, that one moment, he's like, the girl's blood didn't work, did it? You know? Yeah. And, and Barbosa is so mad because he really wants to kill Jack. And he's just like, dang it. Yeah. And then we have that moment later, like Jack is just so sassy. We have that moment later when they're on the ship and he says to Barbosa, he's like, you know, it's kind of great that you mute, that you marooned me on that island because if you hadn't done that, I would have an equal share in this curse, same as you. Then he takes a bite of the apple. He's like, funny old world, isn't it? And then yeah. he offers them the apple and Barbosa's like, uh-huh, yeah. He's so sassy. Yeah, it's great. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, so 
Will goes back to the ship with Elizabeth, leaving Jack behind. Jack has been captured by the pirates, but he's trying to negotiate for his life and also the return of the Black Pearl. Black Pearl is chasing after the ship with Will and Elizabeth on it because they have the pirate medallion, um, which does not end up working. They can't outrun them because the Black Pearl is too um, too fast. But we do get a, a nice little moment of... Um, Elizabeth really being a very talented boat captain. <laughs> like she has all these really great ideas about, you know, here here's how to make the boat go faster. If that doesn't work, we throw the anchor over and we make a stand. So they do their best, but it doesn't end up working. Um Jack um or no, um the the pirates capture the boat and they blow it up and um Will had been trapped below deck, so they they think he died for a minute, but then he he comes up and he's like Elizabeth goes free. <laughs> All right, what are your conditions? Elizabeth goes free. Yes, we know that one. What about anything else? She's very we funny. can't forget about they have that moment with mm-hmm. the really dim sexual lighting when they almost kiss. Oh, of kiss, course, yes. <laughs> which clearly, like, Eliz- it's so funny. Like, <clears throat> I feel like this is the first moment when we see that, like, Elizabeth is actually opening up and acknowledging, like, I want this too, you know? And Will is, all he's always so eager he's like elizabeth and like leans in and really you know and then she literally like takes his hand and puts it like directly onto her chest i'm like obviously she's wanting to show that like that's where the medallion is but i don't think that's the like she didn't have to put his hand there i mean she's been after him the whole movie oh yeah it's like okay so technically like she's using that it's like the um putting the arm like the yawn to just put the arm over oh, the shoulder yeah, yeah. it's like you're justifying <laughs> mm-hmm. letting him put his hands on your boobs yeah. because of the medallion mm-hmm. that yeah. happens to be sitting there well and like that's right after he's been bandaging her hand and then he finishes and she's like don't stop and he puts a little, <laughs> little a little bow on the top on it. yeah <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I need I needed to make sure we we acknowledge yes, that, no, thank you. that extremely is hot sexual <laughs> tension moment. It is a crucial scene because that's also where Will learns that who they're after is him because his mm-hmm. father was the pirate. He's after the blood, my blood, the blood of a pirate, the blood of a pirate. Yes. Yes. Um. And then Elizabeth is like, okay, clearly you need your space. Yeah. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll you, step out. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah. Okay. So. Yeah, the their crew is captured by the pirates, and what happens is Elizabeth and Jack get stranded on an island together, um, which is the same island in which Jack had supposedly been stranded and escaped from years before. He was um, there for three months, the legend said. Yes. But then we discover that he actually was only there for three days. <laughs> <laughs> Lying on a beach, drinking rum. <laughs> yep. He spent... Three days yes. lying on a beach drinking rum. Welcome so, to the Caribbean, love. <laughs> <laughs> that whole little sequence of the two of them on the island is just, it's so great how, like, she's like, she's all excited because she's like, all right, Jack, you know, you're this famous Jack Sparrow. We can escape the same way you did. There's all these legends about you. And then he reveals to her, you know, he only escaped because the rum runners came by and they're 
apparently now out of business so they're not going to escape the same way and she's it's so like, disappointed well it's like a kid finding out that santa claus isn't real because yeah. she's like so into pirates and you know she's like read all these books and legends and da 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 so she's like oh jack sparrow like let's see what he can do and then he's like yeah uh actually i'm not the real santa claus and she's yeah. like wait what but again with elizabeth being really smart and able to come up with really good plans she she gets the bottle of rod she gets this look on her face like hmm and the next the, they cut to um it's nighttime they built a fire and they're just both well jack is clearly completely hammered elizabeth is only faking it but they're they're she's very good them. at faking she's it. very good at faking it they're like dancing around the fire and they're singing the um yo ho yo ho bottle of rum song she's like completely gotten him smashed and he wakes up the next morning and all the bottles of rum and all the trees on the island are on fire because she has built this giant column of uh, smoke while he's gone and he's so mad why is the rum gone but why is the rum gone first because it's a vile drink that turns even the most respectable men into complete fools second complete scoundrels scoundrels that column of smoke is over 10,000 feet high the entire Royal Navy is out looking for me. Do you think there's even the slightest chance they won't see it? And then he tries to but shoot But why her. is the rum gone? <laughs> Just wait, Mr. Sparrow. Give it one hour, maybe two, and you'll see white sails. And then he walks off and he Must immediately sees Must have been terrible for you, Jack. Must have been terrible. <laughs> well, it bloody is now. I actually thought it was really interesting, that line, when he sees the boat, <clears throat> the ship pull up and he's like, well, there'll be no living with her after this. I'm like... <laughs> What, like what are you planning to keep like what the hell does that mean like did you think that like what world are you living in? <laughs> I know. well it's like the ending where you know he's saying his goodbye to elizabeth and he's like it would never have worked between us darling and she's like what <laughs> she's like what are you talking about this is I another thing that i drove me to will this whole time yeah no this is another thing that i didn't really like about the sequels is trying to create this love triangle between the three of them and it just never worked for me she's never into jack she's only into will yeah yeah i i, I would agree with that <clears throat> all right so they are rescued by norrington and the governor and um elizabeth you know, they just want to go straight home. But Elizabeth is like, no, no, no. Will has been captured by the Black Pearl pirates. We need to go after him and rescue him because they're probably going to kill him once they get what they want. And the way that she convinces them to do this, which is kind of out of protocol, is she agrees to marry Norrington, which I still like the look on his face is like clearly. I don't think you actually are saying this because you mean it, but I want to believe it. But OK, um, do it for me. As a wedding gift. As a wedding gift. <laughs> um, and then the, her dad is like so chipper. He's like, he's so Elizabeth, happy. does this mean that you're accepting his proposal? I'm like, are you not aware of anything else that's <laughs> no. going on? Around? He is he not aware of me, anything. <laughs> he reminds me of, um, uh, 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 oh my gosh, I'm forgetting her name. But but the the mother in Pride and Prejudice oh, yes, is just Mrs. like, Bennett. oh my gosh, like engaged. Like, oh my goodness. It's like, is that really all you care about? It's like, well, yeah, I mean, I have we, no other purpose, so yes. We skipped over it, but when the the um the town first gets attacked and the governor is like a quivering like ball of jello and Norrington's like, barricade yourself inside my office. And he's like, ah, and he's like, that's an order. <laughs> it's because you you cannot be out here because everyone's gonna see you and be terrified. Um <clears throat> anyway, and then Norrington 
sorry, after they make the deal to to go and rescue Will, Norrington's like, tells Jack, you will accompany these men to the, you know, downstairs where you'll supply the location of Ila de la Morta, and then you'll, you'll then spend the rest of the trip pondering all possible implications of the phrase, silent as the grave. Do I make myself clear? <laughs> great. Yep. Inescapably. That is a really great, really great line. Right? Yeah. Um, okay, so um, the they all converge on the island. Um, <clears throat> Jack, Jack has this whole plan where he wants them to the the Royal Navy to wait in their ship while the pirate and he's like, I'm gonna get the pirates to row out and then you guys will fight or something like that. I get a little bit unclear about this. What I think ends up happening is Jack doesn't Norrington doesn't trust him, so he divides his crew in two and he takes half of them onto the lifeboats to wait in another location, which ends up being really good because Jack double crosses them. Um but Jack himself goes into the cave and he tells Barbosa that, hey, the Royal Navy's waiting outside to kill you once you've broken the curse. So why don't you kill them first, take the ship, then break the curse, and then you'll have two ships. Um, you can find yourself love... Commodore. I'll buy you a hat. A really big one. <laughs> I love I love the complete like shock. And it's almost like he it almost looks like he's about to laugh. But like when Jack shows up and Barbosa's just like it's not possible. Yeah, like, like, how? like, how did this we happen We left you twice? there like 48 hours you know? ago. <laughs> and Jack's just like, not probable. Yeah. <laughs> but like Barbosa's reaction of just like, he almost looks like he's going to laugh. He's just like, mm-hmm. I don't understand. Yeah. How do you, you keep there doing twice? this? Like, how are you here right now? <laughs> oh I don't get it. It's so good. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so this whole thing all along has been... Jack trying to maneuver himself into a one-on-one confrontation with Barbosa, where Jack secretly palms one of the the um, medallions, the little gold pieces, which means that he is now cursed. And so he and Barbosa can fight and Jack can't be killed and Barbosa can't be killed. So they start fighting. So what's the point? <laughs> so what's the point? Which I do appreciate that I that that Barbosa brings that up because otherwise mm-hmm. it would be a little ridiculous. Yeah. Cuz Barbosa's like, "Okay, so like, Barbosa has what, a really what's great the plan line here." <laughs> There's a really great line actually where Barbosa's like, "So what now, Jack? Are we two beings doomed to be cursed to fight for all eternity?" And Jack's like, "Or oh, you could surrender." <laughs> I always forget the specifics of that line. He's like, "Are we doomed to be two brave men fighting until eternity like until something something in the trumpet sounds. oh that's like, right yeah i don't remember exactly don't remember what exactly. it is but i didn't write yeah. it down i should have i do um, like that he brings it up because i like i always think every time i'm like what 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 yeah. is the point of yeah. this like y'all could just sit back and and have a drink and mm-hmm. wait it out <clears throat> yeah i mean i assume his plan is what ultimately happens is that he's kind of delaying things long enough so that he can maneuver it into a place where the curse can be lifted when it's of most advantage to him yeah um but you know barbosa could just sit down and and let yeah Jack just do be like that. all right poke like, me like well, i'm yeah, not gonna do anything like i don't care <laughs> i don't care you'll um, tire yourself out yeah. eventually. um so barbosa had by this point has sent the pirates after the royal navy and um he's like gents take a walk so instead of rowing out so the royal navy can actually see them they go walk underwater and it's this really cool CGI shot of all these skeletons underwater and there's a light coming through and they're all like... I thought that was so cool when I was a kid. I really like 
how this final fight sequence, we have all of these moments where like there's little bits of moonlight coming through. And it's like they didn't have to add that because it probably makes it really complicated having to add this like animation for brief moments that like matches up with their movements when they step out of the moonlight. Like they didn't have to do that, but they did. And it's really minor details and it works really well. I yeah. think it's super cool. Yeah, it's awesome. The way that the cave is set up is chunks in the ceiling. So, you know, mostly most of the time when you're in the cave, you're appear as human. But that every time you step into this patch of light, you become a skeleton. And it's yeah, it's really cool. Um, so there's a lot of fighting going on. The Black Pearl crew attacks the Royal Navy and is like completely slaughtering them. Um, Can I just say mm-hmm. it's very strange to me that the people on the boats don't hear anything until the bell starts ringing i know you know what i mean i'm like there's gunfire there's shouting there's swords like that sound carries over open water like why are you waiting until you hear a bell like i mean whatever don't think about it too much but it's another one of those things that i'm like they would have gotten back to the ship a lot faster no that is an excellent point i don't know if they're supposed to be in another location where the sound doesn't carry as well but yeah that doesn't make a lot of sense um, anyway, yeah, the Royal Navy are getting slaughtered, except for the people in the boats. Elizabeth um, sneaks off the Royal Navy boat before the fighting starts, and she goes to rescue the Bla- the Jack's crew, <laughs> who are on being held prisoner on the Black Pearl. And then she's like, all right, guys, we're going to go after Jack and Will. And they're all like, uh. <laughs> I mean, I agree with them. I'm like, what's I mean, for maybe, them? Loyal- maybe loyalty towards Jack, but like they don't. They don't They've really known owe Will Jack for anything. like four days. Like, yeah. you know, Gibbs is the only one who had a prior relationship with Jack. Like the rest of them just signed yeah. on for this one mission. Yeah. Yeah. Zoe Saldana is like, I've got my ship. So like, yeah, exactly. I- I'm, I'm going to get out of here. <laughs> well, there's the recurring thing throughout this film of, you know, the pirate code says he who, you know, falls behind, falls gets, behind, left behind. gets left behind. And it's that kind of thing of like, there's no honor among pirates, you know. And also the the continued theme of people calling the code guidelines. That's, oh, like, that's they're, right. They're more like guidelines. More like guidelines anyway. and actual rules. Yep. They're more like guidelines anyway. And then at the end, Gibbs is like, we just con- thought them to be more so guidelines. <laughs> it's like, okay. Ah, this script is so good. That's um, one of those things where it's like, you have to know the rules in order to break them, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. Like painting. exactly um so yeah anyway lots of fighting uh the governor has this his own little mini hilarious mini plot line where he's in the the little captain's um room and he locks himself in and then the skeleton like reaches his hand in and he he manages to like bonk it off and then the the hand is animated on its own and is chasing after him and he's freaking out um very funny (laughs) where they do he grabs his wig and he's trying to get his wig back I do love the added detail at the end when all of them, like when the curse is broken and they turn into humans and he's just looking at like a hand in a drawer. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, oh, and he's oh. like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So, yeah, fighting, fighting, fighting. Um, Norrington uh, hears what's going on and brings his the rest of his crew back to the ship. Around when that happens, Jack and Barbosa has... Um, like Elizabeth and Will and Jack and Barbosa are, are all in the cavern. They're they're fighting each other. Um, there's like a couple other pirates that um, uh, Will and Elizabeth are fighting, and they made Jack manages to time it. So he gives his coin to Will. Will has both coins. He you know cuts his hand, does the blood, puts it back in. All the pirates are now human. At that very moment, Jack shoots Barbosa, and so Barbosa 
You know, he it like it looks like he shot Elizabeth for a second, but then he looks down. Eleven and you years see the, you've carried that pistol, and now you waste, waste your, your shot. shot. He didn't waste it. And then he I like do. he opens up his shirt and he goes, "I feel cold, cold." <laughs> I do. Kind of breaks my I heart. actually, I do love um, how that moment of the movie is kind of structured and put together because maybe this is just a me thing, but I just love the stakes and how it's shot of like all of the pieces are coming together at such a rapid time because we have, we have this moment a little bit earlier where, where Elizabeth is asking, Will, like whose side is Jack on? Like, we don't, we don't know. And then all of a sudden in the course of like five seconds, it becomes very clear that he's had a plan all along. He slices his hand, throws the medallion at Will who's standing there and then he drops it. And it's like, it's just so much culminates and like has, I don't know, a very satisfying conclusion in this like very, you know, climactic, fast paced. And now all of a sudden it's it's over. You know, I I don't know. I just think that that particular part of the film, it's such a brief, a brief part of like a two hour, 15 minute movie. But I don't know. I just really like the shots we're choosing of him cutting his hand and the angle of what we see when he throws it and Will holding his hand out and cutting to Barbosa like and then the gunshot and then the like. The whole way it's structured because he could have dropped it and then we know the curse is over and then Jack shoots it. But like, I yeah, I, I just I think it's great. Yeah. I, I enjoy it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. <clears throat> um, All right. So, yeah, the, the curse has been lifted. Barbosa is dead. All the 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 curse pirates are dead now. for now. For now. Yes. Thankfully, not forever. Um, yeah, all the cursed pirates instantly surrender. There's that one, <laughs> that one pirate who like drops his sword and is like, Pale? <laughs> I think it's Pintel, <laughs> yep. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. So, um, we cut to, I guess, a few weeks later. Oh, and, um, when they come out, uh, Will and Elizabeth and Jack come out of the, um, the cave, they see that the, um, Jack's crew has taken the Black Pearl and they've just sailed off and left him behind. So Jack is now stranded. So if you were waiting for the opportune moment, that was it. <laughs> yeah. It's nice that he's really invested in Will's love life. No, he really <laughs> You're is. not a eunuch, are you? <laughs> he's so obsessed with that. I'm like, dude, first of all, what does it matter? <laughs> also, <laughs> like, why do you keep bringing this up? Um, <clears throat> yeah, so we cut to a few weeks later. We're back at the fort. Jack is about to be hung as a pirate, um, but Will wearing the ugliest hat in existence with this giant feather. It wouldn't. It wouldn't be as bad of a hat if it didn't have the feather and the flower on it. Yeah, like, it's, yeah. it's a bit. Much. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's like he wants to distract from what he's about to do by wearing this hat. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. So he he shows up. He goes up to Elizabeth, confesses his love for her, and then instantly runs back and stops the hangman from hanging Jack and he and Jack start to fight their way out but I mean they're in the fort so like almost instantly they're surrounded by 10,000 um British navy you know or marines or or whatever um but yeah so Will's like well Norrington or maybe it's the governor I forget who they're like <laughs> Will we pardoned you for everything that you did why are you doing this and Will's like well that's this the is- governor okay yeah and then Will is like, well, I realize this is my place is between you and Jack. And then Elizabeth steps up and is like, I as love is Will. mine. As is mine. As is mine. Um, and once Norrington realizes, you know, he she doesn't actually love him. He 
decides to let Will go and Jack, um, to let Jack go, Jack jumps off the, <laughs> the, the same place where Elizabeth had fall- fainted earlier. He just full like, circle, full, he like fully, he's like backing up and then he just falls down. But then of course he miraculously survives. The Black Pearl has arrived. Um, so he swims to it and goes off and Norrington's like, well, I guess we can give them a, a di- one day's head start or something like that. Um, and yeah, Will and Elizabeth are now together. And the governor has this nice little moment where he's like, so this is where your heart really lies. And she's like, yeah. Can I just say, I, and I don't know if you thought this, I don't know what this says about me, but watching this last moment between Elizabeth and Will, I feel like I just feel like eight years of pent up, like I want to make out with her so bad. <laughs> like the way he goes in uh-huh. for that kiss is so I feel like aggressive isn't the right word because once he gets there it's like a sweet gentle kiss, but he like so quickly like jumps at the opportunity. It's like I'm just like you have been waiting for this moment every single second for the last 8 years and now it is finally here and you will waste no time. <laughs> It's a good kiss. They it, had they had kissed earlier, right when they were in underneath the deck, and he was no, no. Nope. Oh, I could have sworn she that leaned in, okay. and the tension was there. But oh, then he got mad about okay. his pirate blood, gotcha. so, so just, they didn't yeah. kiss. Yeah, like I said, that tension, moving. like it, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it it was it was built up, but it's um, a, it's I a also great kiss. I've also always found it a little bit strange. And again, I don't know what this says about me, but like maybe it's not actually that big of a deal. But the governor, like he starts walking away, but then he turns around to like stare at them and give like a little nod of approval. And I just feel like, I don't know, I don't have kids, but I'm like, if I was a parent, I feel like I wouldn't stop and like turn around and stare at my child (laughs) making out and be like, you know what? Good for you. Like, get like get some you know (laughs) (laughs) but anyway I've always found that to be a little strange that he just like stops and turns around I'm like I mean it's kind Mm -hmm. of sweet I guess but also like I would be incredibly uncomfortable (laughs) yeah I'm like "Eh, we're not gonna pretend it's not happening yeah yeah um but yeah so they're happy ending Will and Elizabeth are together Jack sails off with the black pearl and it's now the black pearl is yours Jack his- gets his Jack gets his love moment too because I really feel like the th- black this pearl final, is his love. Is his yeah, love like interest. this final moment that he has where he's like caressing the you know the the steering and and like he just looks he looks so happy and like in love and at peace and just like this is where I belong. Well, this as is he where tells safe as he tells Elizabeth what she is, what the black pearl really is is freedom freedom yeah and it, I, I don't know like they turn it into this funny moment where he looks around and everyone's staring at him and he's like okay that's enough. Uh, i gotta start barking but, orders <laughs> yeah but like this little brief moment i do mm-hmm. think it's it's really beautiful to see you know his actual i don't know like the he's way he actually thing, feels yeah. about this ship he's gotten the thing that he wanted the whole time like all along all his actions have been so that to bring him back to being captain of the black pearl and now he's got it totally yeah. <clears throat> All right. So that's the movie. Um, he goes, bring, bring me, me that horizon. horizon. <laughs> great, great line. And start singing that Drink song. Drink up me hearties. Yo-ho. <laughs> and really bad eggs. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's the movie. Um, wow, we've been talking a long time. We should <laughs> wrap this up pretty soon, but I'm really I mean, glad it's that we a went. long movie. It's a long and, movie. Yeah, there's a yeah. lot of stuff that happens, but I'm really glad we went through all of that because I I love this movie so much. All right, so I mean, next podcast I can just quote the whole thing from start to finish if people want. Excellent. All right, awards and legacy for this movie. So this movie was actually nominated for five Oscars. Um, Best Actor for Johnny Depp, which I find interesting that it was actor and not supporting actor. Um, I think it's to me, it's one of those things where it's sort of category fraud, but also like given how seismic this performance was and how it's kind of everyone, what everyone took away from this movie, it doesn't really surprise me. Um, Best Makeup, uh, Best Sound Editing and Best Sound Mixing, and then Best Visual Effects, which I think very well deserved nomination um it did not win any of those unfortunately it was also the fact nominated- that it was nominated though i think is huge a lot of mm-hmm. these types of movies don't yeah get nominated like this mm-hmm. agreed yeah um johnny depp was also nominated for best actor at the golden globes awards uh the movie won favorite motion picture at the people's choice awards the MTV Movie Awards. I just copied these out because I thought they were kind of funny. It won Best Male Performance for Johnny Depp. It was also nominated for Best Movie, Best Comedic Performance for Johnny Depp, Best On-Screen Duo for Johnny Depp and Orlando Bloom, Best Villain for Jeffrey Rush, Best Breakthrough Performance for Keira Knightley. Very well deserved. I love and all of those. The MTV Movie Awards Mexico. Wait. Oh, okay. Gotcha. I was like, why are these? I forgot, yeah, sorry. I forgot to write Mexico on the um, outline, but it won two awards for Mejor Look, Best Look for Johnny Depp, and then Hero Mas Sexy, Sexiest Hero for Orlando Bloom, which I just thought was really funny. It's also uh, Eroe. Eroe? Oh, thank you. Yeah. Eroe Mas it's, Sexy. It's not Hero. It's, yeah, Eroe. I know there's supposed to be some um, accent marks on there too, but I didn't feel like trying to find the accent mark. Um, yeah, I'm. Key. I'm not going to critique your your <laughs> Spanish writing here. Um, all right. In terms of critical response, uh, it was a positively received. Uh, Metacritic currently has it at sixty three, whereas Rotten Tomatoes has it at eighty percent, which I think is probably a good reflection. Feels a bit low. I it feel does like feel 70 a bit low. It deserves. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where because of the genre it's in, people were like, all right, this is good. You know, it's not groundbreaking or anything. But then as time has gone on, as there have been more sequels, if there have been other movies trying to recreate this magic and failing, it's kind of become more appreciated in hindsight of like, oh, no, actually, this is really, really well done because this is it looks deceptively easy to achieve. And it's it's really not. Oh, I actually was going to say the opposite. I, I wondered if like if some of those reviews that are contributing to that have been written more recently and people are more jaded about the movie because of what's come after it and how oh, like cartoonish, you know, mm-hmm. Jack Sparrow, how worn out we are with Jack Sparrow now yeah. and knowing where these have gone. Yeah. I don't think one of our, one of our guesses is right or wrong, but yeah. 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 I didn't look into when those reviews were written. My guess is that I don't think that would be the case because I feel like I've seen a lot of, especially since this is the 20 year anniversary of this movie. And there have been a lot of retrospectives of looking back on the, why this movie is so great kind of things. But um, your, your guess is also, also a good one. Yeah, interesting. Um, I'll to look up the dates of the reviews on Metacritic after this. Yeah, that'd be really interesting to see. Um, And then I just pulled one critic review from Empire Magazine. Um, It didn't have a a date for when this uh, review was written, but I'm pretty sure it was written, you know, when the movie first came out. So he writes... 
Uh, this is Alice, Alan Morgan. Uh, sorry, Alan Moore. <laughs> can't speak. I've been speaking for so long. It's okay. We've been recording for a long time. We have. Alan Morrison for Empire Magazine. Pirates is a film that prides itself on lively detail and top-grade craftsmanship, but doesn't take itself too seriously. That's a lesson that nearly every one of its blockbuster rivals would do well to take on board. Audiences aren't cajoled into feeling that they should be having fun. They simply are having fun, because the movie is too. I love that. That's a good one. I agree. Yeah, and I think that really just sums up what I love about this movie. This movie is so much fun. (laughs) It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. It, like you said, it... It's a long movie, but it just flies by because you're just enjoying yourself the whole time. If, like me and Tatum, you grew up with this movie, you could probably recite a good chunk of it by heart. (laughs) (laughs) And all of the different characters and um, repeated lines of dialogue or bits of pirate lore probably stuck in your head a long time. And again, I think that's just really good writing and direction that understands the tone and is able to create something that's really unique and memorable um and yeah that you just want to you can really engage with imaginatively and kind of keep coming back to keep re-watching or keep playing out in your head um yeah i don't really know how many more ways to say but i i love this movie i think it's i think it's excellent i truly think it's one of the best of that adventure swashbuckling genre especially you know that has come out within the last 25 to 30 years you know it's up there with the mummy it's up there with um the mask of zorro we haven't had a whole lot of movies really quality movies in that genre in the last 20 years and i'd love to see more because they're always great well no i shouldn't say they're always great there have been some (laughs) recently that have not been great but um i would love to see more that have that same level of craft and care and commitment applied to them because there's real magic in these kinds of movies I, I think they're decepti- deceptively difficult to make, but when they are made right, they're really, there's nothing like them. I I feel like, you know, and we could talk about this maybe a little bit, because I feel like this episode's already long, so it's just going to be a long episode. But um, I found myself while watching this movie, I was thinking, maybe this is just me getting older and being like, oh, when I was younger and they don't make them like they did back in the day. And it could just be a process of me getting older. I don't know. But I definitely had a feeling of, I feel like there, I feel like there isn't as much originality and creativity put into kids movies anymore. I feel like children's movies have really gotten to a place where it's just like how can we market this and make money off of it whereas obviously this movie like it's based off of a ride and it did become a huge franchise but but this first one it almost feels like it was intended to be a standalone film and then you know whatever and I just think about like the movies that came out when I was younger they were so much fun and and really um innovative and interesting and and there was a lot of craft but into like how they looked and the casting of the actors and things like that and I just feel like that doesn't happen that much anymore it's a lot more of like we have an algorithm we have a system let's just plug into it and we'll use the same look the same themes the same whatever and we'll make money off of it because parents just need something to show their kids to give them a two-hour break sort of thing and um Again, like that could just be me getting older, but I think about like, you know, if I were to have kids or if I think about like my niece and my nephew, 
I'm just like, I'm not, I mean, there's some movies that have come out in the last five to 10 years that I would show them because there are, there are good kids movies that have come out. But for the most part, I'm like, I want to show you the, like the good stuff. And again, this could just be me being older, but I'm like, they, they just don't, I genuinely feel like they don't make them like this yeah. anymore. No, I agree. I mean, I was just thinking earlier today, comparing this movie to Jungle Cruise, which came out a couple years ago. I was going to say the same yeah. thing. Yeah. It's also based on a Disney ride. It also stars mm-hmm. two huge movie stars. It's, you know, a sort of adventure romance. And it's not the worst movie in the world, I will say. It could have been worse. Um, you know, people are trying hard in that movie. But it's just, I mean... It's a bit cliche to say that there's too much CGI, but there is too much CGI. <laughs> Nothing seems real. The casting does not really work for the characters, even though I do like Emily Blunt and Dwayne The Rock Johnson in things where they're cast really well. They don't work particularly well to me in these roles or as a romantic pairing at all. Um, and yeah, it's just there's not the same level of detail or care and love and texture put into that world as there is in something like this it really does feel like something that's created by an algorithm because it's something that sounds vaguely familiar and it has people that you're familiar with to sell Mm -hmm. tickets you know whereas this movie there weren't really familiar people in it except for jeffrey rush and johnny depp like maybe if you were a super I'm, well, I mean, I guess people knew Orlando. Yeah, Bloom I mean, from Orlando Lord of Bloom the Rings, is probably but... like he's probably cast because like, oh, he's hot with the the young teenage girls. Yes, you know? yeah, I guess, but I don't know. It wasn't this thing where like, it, like nowadays it's like, oh yeah, the kids love The Rock, you know. But it's like back then it wasn't like I, you know I wasn't nine years old being like I love Johnny Depp, like he's my guy, you know. It was just kind of like I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, like, like, Johnny Depp at that point had been mainly known for interesting indies and kind of wacky, you know, or moody, tortured characters. Like, he wasn't a blockbuster guy. After this, he became a corporate blockbuster guy and kind of started giving the same performance in every movie. Um, But, like, at the time, this was a person that kids would not be familiar with, adults might, but doing this wildly original creative thing that no one could have foreseen. Yeah. And Jeffrey Rush as well. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to make sure that I mentioned that because while watching this movie, I definitely had a sense of like, I don't know, this sounds really extreme, but I'm like, I feel bad for kids today who like don't. And you know, that that's a very blanket statement because obviously like, I wish that I could be a kid today seeing the Spider-Verse movies in theaters. Like, I wish I could be a kid watching those. You know, there are great movies that are coming out for kids these days. Absolutely. But I definitely just had a nostalgia for, like, I mean, there were so, I mean, it was like this, The Incredibles. Like, you know, it's just like, what what was happening? Like, it was crazy. Um, but anyway. I'm going to move on. I just want to make sure I mention that. Um, so yeah, my, my relationship with this movie, I guess, closing out, um, obviously I love this film. I think I quite literally could quote it from start to finish. Uh, cause a, I've seen it a bunch of times and B that's just how my brain works and the type of information it retains. Apparently. Um, I really enjoyed watching this again. It, and I think it is a testament to the, the quality of this movie that I put it on at 11 PM. I'm also sick and I was tired and I still like was awake and entertained throughout the whole thing and didn't, you know, I just think that's a testament to this movie. 
Um, so yeah, it, it holds a very special place in my heart. It, um, established, it helped establish my love for like nerdy sword things at a very young age. I mean, I grew up reading Narnia, which I loved. And then I discovered Lord of the Rings and I discovered these movies and I was like, oh my gosh, these are the coolest things ever. I want to be that person. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it, it was fun watching it this time around. Um, I had a different perspective in terms of like, this feels like way more of a kid's movie than I remembered it being, but that almost makes it more special that it like, you know, can reach lots of different people. Um, I was shocked and quite amused by Orlando Bloom's performance. I was like, Oh, I don't remember it feeling this, uh, lackluster (laughs) to me in the past. Um, but it works. It works. Um, and I need to watch the next two because I feel like he gets better in the next two, but I could be wrong. I don't know. Um, but his character is also less vanilla in the next two. Um, anyway, yeah, that's, that's all I, in the words of Forrest Gump, that's all I have to say about that. Um, cause I'm not going to keep going on and on, but yeah, I love this movie. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm so glad that we did this. This is really fun. Even if it, I'm probably going to be cursing myself in a couple of weeks when I'm <laughs> editing it being like why did you talk about so much of the plot but no I'm no really it's, it's all good and Geneva and I after the the few weeks that we had of choosing movies where the other person was not really on board with what we chose it's we've really tried nice to commit to we've tried to commit to like we're gonna have a few episodes where where we both like the movie or at least if the other person hasn't seen it we're pretty confident that the other person will like it so um, I will use that, if I may, as a transition into what we'll be talking about next week. Yeah, I was going to say, speaking of which, can you tell the people what we're talking about next week? Yeah, so next week I have chosen for us to watch. It is a movie that Geneva, I am appalled that she has not seen it. Shocking. Um, Shocking and disgusting. Yeah, I'm shaking things up because, you know, Tatum's reputation is like Tatum picks more recent movies. But I'm like, no, no, I love old movies, too. So I have chosen for us to watch the 1930s version of All Quiet on the Western Front. Um, I saw this movie a few years back and I was completely blown away by it. Um, It is an incredible achievement for its time. And um, I'm really excited to talk about it. And I'm really happy that I'm finally forcing you to watch it. Um, Yeah, me too. But yeah, so that's what we will be talking about next week. All right. Well, until then, thanks everybody for listening. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at yourpickpod at gmail.com. Our theme song was composed by Joel Rushton, and our podcast graphic was designed by Kara Shin. If you like this show and want to hear more, please rate and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. We're excited to have you on this journey with us. Until next time. Also, Geneva, I want you to know, I fully expect you and demand (laughs) that you do a Jeffrey Rush impression while you read this quote. Please, please do it. I'm going to do my best. I've been mentally practicing it, but I'm really not sure what's about to come out of my mouth. You have to make sure you do that for too long. Too too long. long. (laughs) Okay. All right. You got this.